so, Paul, do you think we're going to need to uh, keep Ernie? He's kind of getting on my nerves. I, I don't know. I, I thought, what's he sleeping in your garage? Yeah, he's in here somewhere. I can never find him. He's always just skulking around. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't I'm know. I think he's a cute drink. little fella, but you know, right. you're the one who has to live with him. So you decided yeah, what you're going to do. Yeah, how did I end up with him? Why is he at my house? I don't know. Somehow he ended up as your intern. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, well, I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be right back in a few minutes. Hold on. Hello, Paul, Scott. Hello? Hello. Ernie? It's me. Yeah, you hear me? Just barely. What are you doing? I'm down here. I, I come out while Dr. Bill's gone. I Hold can't on. hear Hold you. Wait, wait. wait. I gotta climb up in the chair. Hold on. Oh, yeah, I go. I'm coming out. Oh, 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 where's my bungee cord? I had one. Oh, oh, I'm doing. Oh, yes. Hold on, hold on. got to get me out of here. It's dangerous here. What's the matter? I come stay with. Oh, he's uh, Doctor Bill's like a big Billzilla. I'm afraid something's gonna happen to little Ernie. I got to right. get out of here. Just, just pack your bags and go, Ernie. Don't, don't let you know. Don't let Bill scare you. Uh, okay. Next to you, All you'll right. be on display in a Mountain Dew bottle. Oh, oh, oh! Here it comes. All right, I gotta find it. Oh, I gotta get out of chair. I, I gotta go. Oh, all right. Well, no, 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 doesn't, no, Dr. Bill, no. Bill, Bill. Oh. What? What'd I miss? What's God. going on? Um, you didn't just sit on the chair, did you? Yeah, what is it? It feels a little lumpy. Uh, Paul, I, uh, I think we need a new intern. Back to the bin. Hello, back to the bin. It's that time again for Halloween. This time we bring you space horror. I, of course, am Dr. Bill. And with me, as always, is Scott, hermetically sealed gardener. Hello. And the producer, Paul Spataro. Hello. And that's about all I can do <clears throat> for this voice. <laughs> I was wondering how long you'd be able to keep that up. <laughs> We got smoking on the pack. <laughs> wow, that was the best Carrie Fisher impression I've heard in a long time. Aldrod's a peaceful planet. <laughs> we have the weapons, just cigarettes. Like a few. 
little short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? <coughs> oh, this one's to a good start already. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I that was pretty funny myself, but whatever. <laughs> Say what? So, I said, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so you missed out on Horror Week 1 because you were off digging a grave. Digging a grave. Uh, that did we I do, really? We do it digging a grave like we do every day when we go to work. Yeah, I was just going to say digging my own grave. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. I've been working just too much. Too much. You got to put it to work. the man. Oh, wait a minute. I am we the do man. Last... Oh, that's right. I did the, you did the, uh, I did the thing and you did the thing. I don't remember. Oh, I did God. a, I did a uh, werewolf by night story from uh, Marvel that's Spotlight. Right. Oh, that's right. Right. And yes. you did. Yeah, well, since, since the episode will already be out, I, I want to know who was on and what you covered. It was just the two of us. Uh, oh, okay. And and I did a werewolf, I did a werewolf by night story from Marvel Spotlight number three. And William did. What did you do, Bill? Oh, I think I already pulled it off my desktop. What did I do? <laughs> Damn it. What did you do? I don't remember. I just want to go after him with a rolled up newspaper when you say that. <laughs> Smack him right across the nose. What did, you, what was, did you What do? did you do? I think it was a Charlton book. You're like was Mr. A... Charlton lately. Uh, He's a Charlton Chew, Baca. No, wait. You did, you, no, you, you, did a, you, you did an Erie from 1952. Erie, that's right. That's right. Erie. Erie Canal. From 1951, in fact. Wow. Mm-hmm. Story. It was. It was the. Uh, uh, it was the one the, with, the, with the, sea, was, the guy it was, who was, it was killed the sea at zombie. sea. Yeah, the guy that was killed at sea and his hua girlfriend was quick to shack up with the guy that threw him overboard. I am actually looking for a comic full of sea zombies, um, sort of. So this is going to sound really bizarre, but you know, have, have you ever chased a comic just because it's something that? you kind of remember from from long long ago and you just like to see it again yes absolutely and except i do that with women (laughs) sorry sorry well you know i i I told on this show before about how my grand uh my gardener grandparents uh they had this stack of comics that were always on their front porch from all my older uncles they were all just kind of hand-me-downs and they just kind of they just kind of lived on this pile on the porch and everybody just kind of left them alone. And, and whenever the grandkids would visit or whatever, you know, we'd thumb through them or whatever. And so it was just this, this nice little pile. I couldn't even tell you how many it was of, you know, well-loved, well-read, well-worn comics. And one of the ones I remember because it used to creep me out was this story, and it had something to do with children. I guess they must have been murdered or something. Walking out of the sea at the end of the story, kind of like in Creepshow when when uh, Ted Danson and that girl come back. Yeah, that's what we were talking to... about last week. Yeah, funny yeah. you mentioned that. That was that was what was brought up in our with the comic I did. But this this was all little children, and I could be dead wrong, but Aww. in my memory. They're dressed in kind of like like 19th century like school children clothing, you know, like you know, like you, you would see in like a I don't know, like maybe like a Catholic school or something, you know, just very prim and proper. But of course, it's all gross and seaweedy and all that. 
Hmm. And I, that's all I remember about the story was them walking out of the sea at the end of the story. And that used to just seriously creep me the hell out. And I, I have no idea why, but I know that that comic ended up buried in the backyard. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to come I, after you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but it's weird. And, and so this, to this day, I I would love to just see that book again, but I don't know what it was. I, I don't even know if it was a Marvel or if it was a DC. Something tells me it was probably a DC, like something from like um, Ghosts or what were the other ones? They House used of to Mystery. Do? House of Mystery, something. But I don't know for sure. And it's just one of those things that that's probably going to bug me the rest of my life unless I just miraculously stumble across it. Because anybody I've ever talked to about it, they just, you know, they're sympathetic, but they have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, you know. So, but it's just, it's the weirdest thing, you know, I, I would love to just see that again. So evidently the, the whole sea zombie thing must be an actual, like, subculture of, of zombie horror or something, because that seems to keep coming up, you know. Well, yeah, what happened in our story was a guy got knocked overboard and he wakes up under the sea, under, under the sea, sea. <laughs> and then he starts walking back to shore. And, and each time you, they cut back to him, he's more and more degraded until he finally comes out and he's just like green and, you know, he's just got skin missing off of him and like an eyeball it hanging out. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't huh. a bad story. And that was a that was a Charlton. Uh, that was eerie. Oh, eerie. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was again. That was like from 1951, so it was hmm. kind of cool to do an old book like that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, like who who uh, who first forged that path. You know, what was like the first hmm. sea zombie story type Creature of thing? Black Lagoon. That's not a zombie, though. He's not a zombie. He's a zombie. he's a, he's he's a, a monster. Oh yeah, there's there's a picture of the uh, of the book of the cover. Oh nice. We had a long discussion about the cover too. Yeah, who uh, who is that? Do we know who that is? Uh, Wally uh Wood. Wood, isn't it? Yeah. I was just thinking it might be Wally Wood. That's yeah, that's kind of neat. So yeah, you've got like, you know, Frankenstein with with skull head and and weird like monkey lizard thing on his shoulder. You've got Sheena the um, she devil, and then you've got Shazam. That's actually pretty cool. Just... And then there's there and, and but it but but look over their shoulder and there's more people see him, oh yeah 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 you got the specter and I don't know who those are and there's the like there's a mm-hmm. row upon row of people chained together. What is that thing doing? Because it really looks like it's defecating upon that skeleton and that's just that's <laughs> sacrilegious. That's I don't think right. we came up with that. We just yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that monkey thing is just that. Yeah, that's not right. Wow. So you actually have this book? No, no, we just yeah. dug it up. Oh, okay. Okay. Be cool to have it. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, if somebody listening has it and wants to send it to us, we'd like it. It's eerie I, number I still... two. Not always, but I do still try to go with books, you know, from my own collection, but not always, but most of the time. Because this show, the other purpose this show was supposed to uh, help me with was working through that vast unread pile. (laughs) So it was supposed to have a practical purpose. That will never fully go away, that pile. Right. No, I know. 
Are you we kidding me? No I could live, I could live three more sp- lifetimes and that, that pile's not going away. The funny thing is you spend a lifetime trying to get it to go away. And if it ever did, you'd be sad. Right. Oh. Kind of oh, like I little love your, uh, I love your Werewolf by Night cover here. You got Werewolf by Night versus Maud. That is awesome. <laughs> it's it's Maud if she was the Bride of Dracula. I mean, Frankenstein, <laughs> rather. <laughs> she looks like she looked on the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. How was it? Was it any good? I liked yeah. it. Yeah. I th- I th- in fact, I think both books got a fairly good grade from us, if I remember I think right. we both both were averaged out the Bs for both books. Is it, uh, is it Plug on the inside? Because this is a Plug yeah. cover. Yes. Oh, is it? Oh, I, I like him. I like his yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was saying, I, I just, you know, Plug was drawing a lot of horror stuff when I first started collecting. So sometimes I don't know if it's the quality or if it's just the nostalgia, but I, I always love a good Plug horror story. Yeah. I appreciate I think... it now. I don't. I don't know that I did when I was a kid because I think one of the first things I ever saw him do were those early issues of Frankenstein, and having discovered the book because of Merrick, I remember not liking the Plug stuff all that much because it wasn't Merrick. But now looking at it, it's of course you know I, I can appreciate more than one artist, mm-hmm. and I look at that Plug stuff, and while it is very different from Merrick's style. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so yeah. gorgeous. I don't think I've ever seen Plug as the artist on a non-horror book. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we kind of yeah, discussed that, that. Yeah, that we thought that Plug was good with the, with the weird and the abstract and the horrible, but not yeah. as good with the mundane. Yeah, and the plain well, things. Most of those guys are like that, though, because you know the few instances I can think of when, say, like Bernie Wrightson, who I will always associate in kind of the same general realm as like a Mike Plug. You know, whenever mm-hmm. I have seen him do something that was more mainstream, like say he he did that. Was it him that did the weird? Now I'm confused. I mean, that might have been Jim Starlin. Now that I think about it, I think it was uh, whenever Starlin. I. Yeah, whenever I have seen him the do weird? something. The weird? I don't think Jim Starlin did the weird. I thought was it, so. It was, it was either him or, or Wrightson. Sometimes I confuse those two. Mm. But uh, Wrightson's style is definitely, for me, is more you know more that horror style. And whenever he's done anything a little more mainstream, I haven't really dug it as much. Because he did, uh, what was it, Batman the Cult. Yes. And I liked it. But I liked the Batman part of it. And the rest of the world didn't really, it didn't really work for me because, again, I associate, associate him more with, with the horror genre. So, like, when Batman came to Swamp Thing's world, it really, really worked for me. Well, I guess, when, we're, I guess we're both right because it was created by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson. Ah, there you go. Okay, that must be why I was confused about that. I was trying to remember. But did he actually, did he... Work on that artistically? I can't I don't remember. Know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. It looks, it looks like Wrightson did the art. Did he? I okay. think Starlin Star wrote he did, it. But yeah, I got to second guessing myself on that. That's a book I haven't, I haven't read that since that was brand new. That might be a book to bring to the show sometime. That'd be cool. So I remember digging it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's appropriately named. It is a very strange beast. So, uh, by way of comic news, mm-hmm. I was in Pittsburgh last weekend for a wedding, uh-huh. and in between the ceremony and the reception, 
Melissa and I sought out a comic book store <laughs> that was only like a block away from the hotel we were staying in. And uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called, like Ides or something like that. It was three three floors. And I only had a chance to look look in the lowest floor, but it, it seemed to be a treasure trove. They had boxes down on the floor of basically cheap books between 30 and 80 cents a book. And, you know, some of them were beaten, you know, beaten pretty badly, but some of them were in decent shape. And, right. you know, a lot, a lot of, like, Bronze Age stuff for that price. Huh. So I, I only wish I had more time. We only had about a half an hour to spend there, and, and I picked out about, I don't know, 15 books and bought them. But I, I wish I had more time, because I, I would have probably spent a couple hundred dollars if I did. Right. And the guy, on, you know, we were at the basement level, and the, the salesman down there was saying, oh, you should check out upstairs. You know, there's a lot of dollar books that are really good. But, you know, I just didn't have time. So, and I don't, who knows when I'm going to be back in Pittsburgh. Right. But good stuff. That's all. That's my comic news for this week. <laughs> I posted a picture on uh, on the, the bins page of some of the books I bought, though. Oh, okay. It's, it's those. Okay, yeah. I, I saw those when you posted those up. A couple of Werewolf That's by a... Nights, a Frankenstein yeah. issue. An Adventures of the Planet of the Apes issue. Right. Uh, some Avengers. Hey, you got some good stuff. Yeah, and, and like I said, the, the most expensive in the bunch, I think, was 80 cents. You lucky dog. I only wish I was lucky enough to, to have you know a couple of hours to have looked through all this stuff. Hmm. Did I uh, did I bust did I break you up with one of those pictures I put up? Uh, let's see what do we got here. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> what is that Superman one from? I don't know. I just it was oh it was my one of the, lord! It was one of the images when I typed in weird, and I went to images, and that one was there. I've never seen that picture before. That's that's Superman saying, "Give those people air." Oh, that is just ah. Oh. <laughs> That's gonna give me. Come on, Cohagen. That's <laughs> <laughs> when Arnold Schwarzenegger played Superman. And then it's, the other one is just it's very disturbing. <laughs> wow. I don't even want to describe it. Just people think yeah, of the most disturbing say... thing possible, and Bill has topped it. <laughs> right. About <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, to describe the other that to the wife lately. Later. To describe the other panel with Superman, Superman has one eye that's kind of in the first panel. He's looking like uh, uh, he's looking up and one of his eyes looks a little bigger than the other. And then the next one, it's like three times the size. And in the following panel, it's a close up of his head and his eye is almost the size of his head. The middle one, it looks like he could be going. I'm going to squeaky eye. <laughs> squeaky eye. What is that? What is that disease that, uh, uh, what do they squeaky call it? Squeaky eye the, disease. And, uh, <laughs> elephantitis of the testicles. Only elephantitis he's got to of the eyeball. So, yeah, exactly. And that's he not that disturbing one, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. He forgot to wash his hands after he went to the bathroom and rubbed his eyes or something. It's, uh, it's just wrong. What the hell is wrong with you? It's, Superman's he's, a great he's, he's Bill. He's <laughs> So space, space. That's why space we're you comics. know what book I thought you were gonna bring, Paul. What was that? I mean, I mean, Scott. What what book I thought you were gonna bring, Scott? Uh oh. What? 
I thought for sure that you would have brought the Star Marvel Star Trek one with a haunted house. I considered that. <laughs> That's amazing that you. Wow. Yeah, I actually did honestly consider that one. I really did. But here's the thing. That I figured I, since you already covered it once, you wouldn't bring yeah. it again. Well, I, I considered that. I considered um, several issues of Marvel Star Wars. Um, I considered um, Battlestar Galactica because I have mm -hmm. almost a complete run of that now. And a number of the covers on those issues... Yeah, there's like the squid tentacle thing. Yeah, like exactly. The, the yeah, a lot of feature, a lot whatever. of space monsters. There's a really good one with uh, with Commander Adama looking like he's been possessed by a demon or something. He's making like a really super creepy, you know, like kind of face. Yeah, he's and everything. going hoss, little Joe. Oh wait, <laughs> sorry, never mind. But uh, but ultimately, I, I went with the one that I went with just because I'm I'm a firm believer in you know much like when you play Trivial Pursuit you know I'm I'm a firm believer with go with your first instinct and as soon as I I read the suggested topic of space horror the very first thing that popped into my head is the book that I picked for tonight so that popped into my head and then I thought. I don't know. Is that really what they're going for? Space horror? I was thinking more like you were probably talking about like, you know, out in space, like a space monster or something, you know, going to some weird other planet or something, you know. And, and so I searched like crazy trying to find something in my own collection that I thought fit the genre of, of space horror. And I just kept coming back to to this issue. So finally, I was like, ah, screw it. This works. So I, I hope it I hope it works for everybody. Well, I mean, we were kind of vague with the with the definition of space horror, so right, you know, uh, right. as we'll see when we get to my book. <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't looked at what you guys had chosen ahead of time. If I had looked at what you guys had chosen, I wouldn't. I would have been like, oh, okay, I'm fine, you know. But I, I spent all kinds of time trying to find something else because I didn't really think I was fitting the the criteria. Only to to look at what you guys picked, and I'm like, oh shit, I would have been fine with like, you know, umpteen other books that i i looked at and, and discarded you know so yeah whatever i'm happy with the one i i got because it's it's fun the art's really good and oh my god is it wacky so well yeah. you know what having, having gone through this this intro of what you're picking why don't you go first with yours now <laughs> well, i was just first? gonna suggest that uh, okay yeah. all right i can go ahead and go first Okay, so I actually have an intro for mine and then the whole nine yards by the way is my uh, how's my fan is my fan too loud no, you need to shut that guy up. I haven't heard from any fan of yours in a long time. <laughs> He's the only one I got. I got to keep him locked up in the basement. All right, so here you go. See if you can figure out what this book is going to be, folks, by the introduction. I, you know, one of the things I miss most as as comics. Uh, you know, as comics moved along, as we got into the common, you know, the, the current era of comics, I miss the old headers that you used to have on the Marvel comics in the in the 70s and 80s. So I this is one of my favorites right up there with like, you know, the Star Wars header and the different ones. So this one reads <clears throat> John Jameson, astronaut, career soldier and the son of newspaper mogul J. Jonah Jameson, John Jameson, cursed. For when the rays of the moon touch the pendant that has grafted itself to his throat, John Jameson becomes a beast. Stan Lee presents 
the man wolf. So this is Creatures on the Loose, number 36. Uh, cover date on this one is July 1975. On sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, is April 15th, 1975, in uh, infamous day in history. Uh, well, April 15th, I don't know about 75. I don't know what the hell happened then. Uh, cover price on this originally was 25 cents. The penciler on the cover is Gil Kane, inked by Klaus Jansen, and uh, it's a pretty decent cover. You have the oh. man wolf, and uh, he is actually shredding uh, his clothes, his uh, space helmets coming off of his head and everything. As he's floating out in space, you have a very uh, wheel-like, two th- you know, I think 2001 A Space Odyssey-style space station behind him, and this uh, mysterious figure that's tethered to it uh, by a lifeline is approaching the man wolf. He's got him making like claw hands, like he's going to attack him or something. And it says, "Murder my moonlight in the airless depths of depths of outer space. The wolf beast battles for his life." So yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool cover on this one. Uh, let's see. Writer on this is inside. He's billed as David Kraft. Of course, this is David Anthony Kraft, who would go on to uh, much greater fame as actually a fanzine publisher. Penciler on this, George Perez. This is a very young, just starting in the biz, George Perez. Inker is Frank McLaughlin. Letterer, Tom Orzakowski. And colorist was Petra Goldberg before she was later uh, Petra Scotis. Story is entitled Weird Stone, which is a damn good title for this story. So John Jameson returns to space on an unspecified mission. He has 10 minutes in which to uh, dock with and board an orbiting wheel-shaped space station before moonrise. He doesn't make it. Pounding frantically at the entry entry hatch, Jameson feels his mind succumbing, his thoughts transforming, and the savage animal ferocity emerging. As he floats helplessly in the airless, freezing, deadly vacuum of space, John Jameson once again becomes the Man-Wolf. As the beast appears and shreds his life-giving spacesuit, we are abruptly interrupted by an astoundingly long flashback. Four pages in a story that is only 18 pages to begin with. But it brings us up to speed on pretty much the whole dang story so far. Which is actually pretty awesome because this one... I'll be honest with you, this this whole overall story of Man-Wolf in this title is a bear to keep straight uh, because it has a lot of wacky twists and turns. So if you were with us last year for Horror Month, you may recall that in Back to the Bins number 210, which was the Werewolves episode, I actually covered Creatures on the Loose number 34, so two issues prior to this. Uh, that was a heartwarming tale of man beasts, dirty goddamn hippies, peg-legged rednecks right out of deliverance, a secret underground facility that was a cross between a James Bond villain lair and a giant moonshine still designed by Jack Kirby, and oh yes, the hate monger. See what you miss when you skip an episode, kids? So much of this recap covers that same ground and then goes beyond it to tell what happened in issue 35, the one between that one and this one. So apparently Nick Fury showed up, all hell broke loose, and then the man-wolf ended up in a boss battle with the hate monger who apparently died. 
Fury and Dum Dum Dugan are understandably surprised to find the AWOL Jameson on the scene, and eventually they also find the body of Joel, John's hippie friend. Turns out, according to Fury, that Joel, quote, ain't done for yet, and that his best men are going to fly Joel to Atlanta for help. I would remind you that Joel was shot point blank in the back of the head with a sawed off shotgun, but this is hardly the most what the f moment in the entire story, so I'm just going to kind of move right along. Sorry, Paul. Editing. It was a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. That boy's got a hard head. He got better. <laughs> so Fury tells Jameson to get his ass to NASA. So the all-but-naked astronaut pilots the uh, hate-monger's ship to the Cape where Fury tags along to put in a good word for him with his superiors and get him out of hot water for being AWOL for pretty much this entire run. Jameson is offered an opportunity to set things right and avoid a court-martial if he agrees to pilot the uh, hate-monger's ship, the only space-worthy space vessel NASA has access to at the moment thanks to budget cuts in the space program, and I love that little dig by the writer, up to an orbiting NASA space station to find out wh why they have lost communication with it. Jameson readily agrees, provided they lock him in solitary overnight until the launch the next day. They agree ask no questions such as huh post no guards and apparently fail to even monitor him any way whatsoever as he naturally becomes the man wolf that evening because it's always a full moon in comic books the next day semi-rested because he wore himself out pounding on the wall of solitary confinement all night and then passed out jameson pilots the ship into orbit goes on an eva and promptly turns into a werewolf in space which brings us back to the present where we find Manwolf clutching his throat and gasping his last. But at that moment, he is saved from certain doom by what looks like a spacesuited version of Bug for the Micronauts. The strange figure brings Manwolf inside, refills the airlock with oxygen, and is promptly attacked for his good Samaritanism. Just then, and just when I'm thinking I it can't possibly get any weirder in here, on a gorgeous two-page spread, Man-Wolf is attacked by a bow-staff-wielding caveman named Gorjun, who bats him around and then locks him in a bear hug. Or wolf hug, I guess. Captain Gorjun! <laughs> Man-Wolf takes a bite out of crime, and Gorjun, <laughs> but before he can make good his escape, is swatted by the flat of the uh, space-suited guy's sword and falls down an air shaft. Confused yet? <laughs> <laughs> we get eight mm -hmm. pants of Jameson's girlfriend getting roofied by a hipster artiste. It's no, okay. no, no, wait, 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 wait. Wasn't that 88 and a half hours ago? Uh, yeah, it was 88 and a half hours ago. <laughs> pretty pretty does specific. Say that. <laughs> and uh, it's okay, though, because he's God. I, no, I mean, really, he is. He says so on panel eight. Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell that was about either. J. J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> gets... Wait, 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 wait. Some 62 hours later. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson gets the last laugh on government asshole Stroud, and we're back to Man-Wolf, who is falling down an air shaft. Despite physics and terminal velocity, he reaches out and saves himself by catching a cross shaft because John McClane and oh. on the prowl again. Gorjun, some old dude named Lambert, and this guy named Garth, whom I really did think was Ulysses Bloodstone until I looked him up, confer and discuss the fact that they've noticed that the monster wears quote-unquote 
the God Stone. Party on, Garth. It's made pretty apparent that these boys ain't from around here. Garth sets off after the man-wolf. He finds him, and an epic tussle ensues in which Garth holds his own against the beast. However, sensing that the man-wolf will eventually take him, he rips a handy power cable off a wall and shocks the creature into submission whilst declaring, this man-wolf's life means nothing to one in the quest of the weird stone. Next Don't you issue. know you gotta shock the man wolf. <laughs> hey, hey. Next issue, Moonbound. Holy shit, is this one all over the place? But before we get into all that, uh, a brief little history lesson. So, this is actually the penultimate issue of Creatures on the Loose. Now, the man wolf took over the feature back in issue 30, uh, which was actually covered here on Back to the Bins. That was back in episode 124. Um, I'm not sure who covered that. I want to say you did, Paul, but I'm not sure. Do you remember? Yeah, that was uh, me and uh, Mr. Rifen did that one. Mr. Rifen. Which one of you brought the, the book, though? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was me. Okay. That, that's what I was thinking, too. I remember talking I to sure. Scott about it, but I, I'm pretty yeah. sure I brought it. So when the feature started, it was uh, written by Doug Mensch and art by uh, George Tuska, and started out as a pretty standard, you know, werewolf horror book with the uh, with the hook that the character was also part of the Spider-Man family because he's both simultaneously, of course, uh, one of Spider-Man's enemies, but then he's also the son of J. Jonah Jameson, one of the primary supporting characters. So I always thought that was a great hook for that character anyway. Uh, Mensch was gone by issue 32, and then there was one fill-in issue, and then David Anthony Kraft took over as writer with number 33. And the up to that point unremarkable artwork got a major boost with the addition of then brand spanking new uh, George Perez coming in as artist. And this was like his like third or fourth credit uh, ever, at least according to Mike's Amazing Worlds. So, I mean, he was like, you know, freshly minted. He was right out of the box. So Craft, uh, you know, his stories, you know, they're fun and they're they're frenetic and they're really far out and all that. Uh, but it's honestly, it's it's this early hungry Perez artwork that really makes these issues worth seeking out. You know, if, if you're at all curious or, or interested in this material, Craft's um, run. I mean, it's just it, it immediately goes right off the rails. And I mean, I, I'll give him props because he did discard. I mean, just immediately discarded the the standard, you know, prowling monster format. But it, he discarded that in favor of whatever the hell this is and it's all over the place like i say it's it's fun but it's just it's hard to just keep a, a track on what exactly is happening i mean it's very seat of the pants so anyway this issue 36 this was the penultimate issue uh, and then creatures on the loose ends next issue with uh, a cliffhanger with number 37 which was cover dated september 1975 now, the story would get resolved and concluded, but it'd be three years, over three years later. That would be in Marvel premiere issues 45 and 46, which were also by uh, Kraft and Perez. And I can only imagine they must have been uh, inventory stories at that point. I, I'm, I'm sure they must have been, you know, done, but they were just shelved. Anyway, um, you know, he comes back, he's in those two issues. But at that point, suddenly Man-Wolf is kind of shifted He's no longer even a monster title. Now he's billed as a uh, Swords and Sorcery Beyond the Stars adventure. Hmm. 1978. Uh, hmm. I wonder what could be the influence there, right? 
So anyway, eventually the, the character uh, does return to Earth and gets cured by Doc Connors and Spider-Man in Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number 3. That's a personal favorite story of mine that I am long overdue to reread. So uh, sometime, uh, you know, hopefully sooner than later, I plan to bring that one to the show as well because I friggin' love that story. So there you go. There's your crash course on The Man Wolf. What'd you guys think of this? Still trying to Love figure out what happened. <laughs> I know, isn't it wacky? It it is de- most definitely wacky. I, I'm I'm not sure where uh, what's his name Gorjum. Where where did he come from? Gorjum. Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did any of them come from? That, where did he come know, from? Cotton Eye Joe. Well, there there were several things, and here's the thing. I don't want to be I don't want to be unfair or unkind to George Perez. You know, he's one of my favorites. But there's a number of things in this story where. I'm just going to be frank. The neither the writer or the artist seem to be helping each other much because there's a number of times in this story where I really had to pour over the page to figure out what happened here. What is the sequence of events? I'll give you a perfect example. So on page page number 18, last two panels. So. Gorjun gets the man wolf in in his bear hug and he's latched onto him. Man wolf takes a chunk out of him and then Garth walks up and slaps him with the flat of his blade and knocks him back. And that's how I interpreted these panels. He knocks him back. And then, you, you know, you have a couple of ad pages and the story resumes with. John Jameson's girlfriend. There's the interlude with uh, with JJJ and then back to the story of the man wolf and suddenly the man wolf is plunging down this pit and i'm like huh what the hell did i miss here and i had to really pour over this to figure out how did we go from him fighting these two dudes to falling down this hole and i i could not figure it out for the longest time and finally when i really really poured over the art it finally occurred to me that that when he got slapped he fell down that air shaft. You yeah. know, you, you could yeah, see him. I agree with you though. It's not very clear unless you really look at it. Yeah, it was not clear to me at all. I did not get that because I thought he was knocked out. I so think like it when either he, needed the panel where he hits the grating. They need to show it, his like feet going up in the air. Well, or it yeah. either needed a bigger panel where you could get more of a perspective on him falling, or it needed a, a narration box explaining yeah. what happened that's what i mean so you know neither the art nor the story are, are really they're not telling it as linearly as, as it needs to be told uh there was another example where i kept pouring through this issue trying to figure out who the hell is the thundar looking guy what was his actual name because i don't i didn't really want to put it into this you know into my synopsis unless he was named here i i hate that you know what i mean because I don't like to like spoil ahead, and it, it finally um, I did finally find it, um, where it, it's the two page spread where Man Wolf is batting the green guy in the in the spacesuit. That's him, and he's just called uh, by his name just one time in the entire issue. But here's the thing, it never really makes it clear in the story that the guy in the green suit and Garth are actually the same person. 
That's really not made clear. The only reason I know that for sure is, again, I thought this dude was Ulysses Bloodstone. So I looked him up on uh, the Marvel Wiki, and then that's when I learned that, no, 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 he's this Garth guy. And that's when I realized, oh, wait, he's the guy that was in the spacesuit. But again, it was never made clear to me. So I actually thought there were four people. On the you know, space the spacesuit reminds me of the guardsman outfit a little bit. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right, it does. Yeah. But again, uh, you know, as I said in my synopsis, um, this is all about the art. And that was that was really the thing that got me into uh, Creatures on the Loose with Man-Wolf to begin with. And that's the thing that keeps me interested in it to this day is, uh, you know, is the Perez artwork. Well, when, um, when you yep. say, uh, you know, early on you said a very young George Perez, which is fair. That's a fair comment. I think his ability to draw a pretty picture existed back then. Oh, I don't think yeah. he, he had to mature much in that. I think his storytelling technique has improved over the years. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. But I think he was drawing, you know, pretty much in the same style he does now. I, I don't think I don't think that... Like his youth is shown in the actual individual pictures, uh, except to the extent that I think he would take some shortcuts with backgrounds back then. Right. You know, he, when well, he drew one... backgrounds, they were great, but he'd often draw sh shots that had no background. They'd ha just have like motion lines around them or something like that. Uh, another and, and he doesn't reason... seem to do that as much, or he, he didn't seem to do that as much as he matured as an artist. I think another great reason to collect these issues is, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'd, I'd have to, to really go you know issue by issue, but I'm pretty sure that he's inked by somebody different in every single issue. I'm almost positive of that. Mm. So you get a real good chance to examine his artwork filtered through someone else's ink. So you really get a sense of, okay, how much is he really bringing to the table uh, with the pen, so it's it's one of those you know times that you can really, you know, really get a chance to see just how comics work, you know, or, or at least how certain artists in comics work. Like how much are they bringing, how much are they influenced or affected by who's inking them, and of course, you know, there's some that are really strong, and then there's others that yeah maybe they didn't work together so well. And here, I think uh, I think Perez and McLaughlin are awesome. I, I think this pairing is really good. There's other pairings uh, that Apparently I don't they think did are two issues here as well. This for both McLaughlin also. Oh, okay. I'm I'm just but looking I, now on on. Oh, and then we had George Tuska. Ugh. But I know that the very last issue, I can't remember the inker's name. It wasn't somebody I was familiar with. I, I looked at this earlier Fred, today. Fred uh, Kidda. Yeah, I, I, that's not a name I'm familiar with, but the art in that issue, ooh, it, it ain't good. I don't, I don't know what Kidda's history or anything is, but yeah, that that's a really weak issue. So, I would love to know what killed the book, and my guess would be this, this, this just like wackiness. You know what I mean? This, this just like what? You what mean the hell? Are you? Yeah, what? exactly. It, it's all over the place. I mean, I made a lot of fun of it in my synopsis, you know, good-naturedly, but it really is just, I mean, it's completely all over the place. That story that I covered last year, uh, you know, the issue 34, I mean, it really did have all those things I said. It had hippies, it had, uh, uh, you know, the peg-leg redneck guy, it had the, 
you know, the the mad scientist moon moonshine mountain facility. <laughs> it's like, what the hell are you going for with this? You know, I mean, you have a werewolf on the loose. Is that not enough for you? You've got to throw, you know, everything and the kitchen sink into the story, too. And apparently he, you know, craft, I mean, uh, thought thought that he did. But well, I when I, I looked at it, I was thinking if they didn't try and do a little bit of that, then you're in a situation where you have man wolf and wolf by night basically telling the same stories. Right. You don't want them to be an identical character to that. I think you could have eliminated it by having man wolf in the superhero world, whereas wolf by night kind of was, you know, running in his own little existence. Right. I, I think that would have avoided it. I don't think you had to get into sword and sorcery and out of space. But then again, with John Jameson being an astronaut, the out of space angle kind of works for me too. Um, right. You know, I, yeah, I, I, I think this 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 is one that I chalk up to you know goofy Bronze Age fun. Oh, it is most you definitely. Know, it, it's yeah. probably written under the influence of some type of intoxicant. No. <laughs> But, you know, they could do whatever the hell they wanted to because this is worth, in in my opinion, this is worth the price of admission for that beautiful, almost full-page splice. It's not quite the full page because there is a a smaller strip at the top of the page, but page six. Um, Space? Yeah, the shot of of Jameson fully transformed into the man-wolf. He's shredded his costume, you know, his spacesuit. You've got Earth underneath him. You have the moon looming large in the background. Clearly made out of green cheese. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it it almost looks like Krypton about to explode. Is kind of what like the like the internal stresses have built, kind of thing. But it's uh, that's just a beautiful shot. I love that. Mm -hmm. When you first said the beautiful splash, I thought you were talking about the actual splash page, and that I don't really like that much. Yeah, his head. It's it's a close up of of, uh, the man wolf's face with the ship actually kind of coming out of a star field in his mouth. Right. And uh, just the head itself doesn't look right. It's kind of like the man-wolf pinhead. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of something like something you would see painted on the side of like a like the county fair roller coaster or something. You know what I mean? Like the the (laughs) The man-wolf. Airbrushed on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like on the like side the of, side of a van in the seventies or something. It's just it's really bad. <laughs> well, this is in the seventies, so we'll give that's it that. true. Speaking of the seventies, why does God need a goatee? What it that that needs some explaining. What the hell? I don't remember that. I don't know who this guy is. I don't I mean, know. Why does God need that's... a starship? But really, why does he need a goatee too? Yeah, he. I have no idea who this guy is. I don't, I don't know, he, and I'm not one hundred percent sure say, that story ever got resolved. Yeah, he, he he's got the he, hypnotic he, belt buckle. He roofies her, and then he says, "Eh, why not? I am, after all, God." That is literally what he says. I'm like, "What?" So yeah, I don't. I you know, I actually don't even want to know what that's all about. It's Count Vertigo, I guess. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, I don't, yeah, something something untowards about to happen there. Well, when she's she pretty smoking. Gravity doesn't seem mm. to have much effect on her. Not at all. Oh. <laughs> That shot right in the middle of the next page, uh, the, uh, uh, what is that, Sixth, fifth panel, fifth panel, page 23 of Jonah. Jonah. Yeah, that's really good. It's like he's barking. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> go back, 
Go on, crawl back to your holes, weasels. You know, you read that real quick. Yeah, you, my eyes played a trick. You can put on me. that <laughs> AS in weasels in front of the holes above it. I'm like, what? Go Where on, crawl back jumping? to your. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, Jay Jonah. Wow, man. That is awesome. So it has, uh, you know, spoilers. I, I don't know all the details. So I can't spoil too much. But spoilers, these three guys are from some other dimension. And Manwolf ends up going off with them, and he becomes the man-god. Isn't he like the uh, star uh, something? Star god, that's it. Yeah, star mm-hmm. god um, on, their, on their world or whatever. It, it really does turn into... Um, a, a sword and sorcery style thing. He's I still think he still he gets John Jameson's consciousness in the man wolf body. Yeah, and he has ESP. I, I'm not making that up. He he gets ESP. So suddenly the man wolf can communicate with everybody, but he talks to them by ESP. Yeah, not I'm not I'm not kidding. So yeah, it I've actually uh, never read those. I, I have them in my collection. Um, I'll probably get to them one of these days, but when the, when the book tanked at 37, that was, that was enough for me. I, I really, I don't like sword and sorcery and that was just, that was a bridge too far. So I'm proud to own them. I love the art in them, but I've actually never read the stories, uh, you know, cover to cover. Well, Cause it just, it's, it's just a little too awkward for two, me. Two so. points on that is one, how could a story this far out in this era not have been written by Steve Gerber, first of all. Right. <laughs> that, that to me, is mind-boggling. Second of all, you, you do mischaracterize things a little bit because you are a big fan of Warlord, who is sword and sorcery. Ah, that's true. That's true. But I think that's a little more... It's a little uh, more grounded, but it's still... Grounded, it a little is more still sword and sorcery. Yeah. But no, this this is just. And if you tell me no, no, I really don't like that. I'm going to come down to Ol- to to uh, Oviedo and I'm going to smack you because I sent you that big package of Warlord. <laughs> this is true, Oviedo. You did. <laughs> but that's uh, that's about all I got on this. I, again, I, I love the artwork, and uh, and it was the artwork that that pulled me into it as a kid, and it's it's still the artwork that really keeps me loving it. Um, there's beats of the story that I really like. You know, there's moments I really like. I love the astronaut stuff. Um, in a weird kind of way, I think that's another reason why I've always had a real soft spot for the man wolf because um, he, I know this is going to sound really strange, but he has kind of a, a $6 million man vibe about him because he's uh, like a astronaut. repurposed. He's, yeah, he's a repurposed astronaut. You know what I mean? And I, I think there's there's something really cool about that to me. I don't I don't I don't know what it is. I just think that's really neat. So I I liked this issue because, you know, after you get past the uh, the not so great splash page, immediately you're getting back to him doing what he does. You know, this is his thing. He's an astronaut, and you know he's back in space. He's on a mission, and then immediately it, you know things go awry. And then it just goes completely off the rails. But, you know, at least the, the very beginning of the book, I really dug. It's just, it's when you get right to, it's literally, it's smack dab right in the middle of the book. When Gorjun shows up and, and I saw that, okay, he's on this space station. You don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden he's fighting a caveman. At that point, I kind of mentally checked out. I'm like, oh, okay, I think I'm I'm kind of just done with how stupid this is getting now. But, but um and and it's true because at you know beyond this point once they go off to uh 
off to the the realm that these guys are coming from that that really was where i checked out and apparently so did the rest of the readership too because you know the book got canned so there you go but at least they wrapped it up that doesn't always happen you know i always feel bad that you know if there's people that are really into some title and then they they you know they can it and then they never bother to go back and wrap it up um you know, Marvel used to have a pretty good track record with that sort of thing. It might not have gotten, um, you know, wrapped up at the end of a series or what, but a lot of times they would go back and, and tie up, you know, dangling, you know, the loose ends in some other title. I, mean, I know they did this, you know, similar thing with like Nova. When Nova got canceled, eventually uh, Wolfman came in and told the rest of that story in uh, in Fantastic Four and that kind of thing. So that, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's called The Slayer, which only went, I think, yeah. four issues. Then they resolved it in Marvel 2 and 1. Right. Yep. So that's that's another one that they did that with. Or even, uh, I'm just thinking, the, the another, I think, three or four issue series was when they had those, the girly books come out. They had uh, Night Nurse, Shanna the She-Devil, and right. The Cat. And right. Shanna the She-Devil, I think, went four issues, and that's where... Uh, they introduced the Mandrill and Necra, mm-hmm. and then they uh, Steve Gerber resolved all that in uh, Daredevil when he took that over, right? Including bringing Shanna in and those two villains. So that's they did have a, a way of doing that back then. Or even I'm just thinking uh, Steve Englehart bringing the Beast over to the Avengers was kind of a continuation of the subplots that were going on in the Beast's Amazing Adventures stories. The whole rocks right. and oil thing started there, right? So lots, lots of stuff, lots of examples of Marvel not leaving those ta- those uh, well, rocks loose ends dangling. All, all, all the serpent crown stuff too. Yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. Makes me want to put every one of those books on in my queue for the show. Yeah, I know. I would not mind uh, covering the the serpent crown saga at some point. I think that could be a lot of fun. That was a good story. As soon as we're done with the Celestial Madonna. Celestial <laughs> Madonna. Well, we, you guys have anything on this? Or are you ready for me to grade? Uh, just, just that it was wacky, but I enjoy Bronze Age wackiness like this the same way I enjoy Silver Age wackiness. Mm-hmm. This, it, they are two different beasts. They're not the same thing. But no. I like both of them. And... Uh, like I said, it's almost the Bronze Age wackiness almost seems like there was some sort of uh, hallucinogen involved in some of them. But what was what was, what was the uh, there was a Sega Altered Beasts. That's yes, what, that's what the two page <laughs> the two page spread reminds oh me. Oh my of. god! Yes, yes. <laughs> well, the guys would turn in the to uh, right. They, they would turn in the monsters as they would. Fight. It, it, it was a side scroller. Yep. And 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 um, you would have these hairy guys fighting each other, and but th- that whole stance and him throwing that other guy reminds me oh, of the. Oh Lord, I haven't thought about that in what twenty five years. It's been right. racking my brain, and I couldn't think of the name of it until just now, until I verbalized it. Yeah, all, yeah altered beasts. Altered beasts. Yeah. Roar, and the guys would change. And, <laughs> yeah. That was a you Sega. You're right. Game. Yep. Yep. I do remember that. I th- I think that was uh, I think I might that might have come with the game when I first had it. I know I had it and I know I didn't buy it, so I think it might have come with the the console yeah. or something when I bought it. That's <laughs> funny. All right, so let's see here grades. Um, I like 
everything about the cover except the man wolf's actual face. He looks like the man weasel or something. He it doesn't look like a wolf to me. And this I think this came up last year when we talked about man wolf that there were there were times when he just doesn't look like a wolf. Yeah, but this maybe, is maybe that was pain, so maybe it's about. the whole nose thing. Yeah, he's, something, he's not, just something doesn't look right. It, it's I'll like somebody what I think it is. in. His yeah, the snout isn't elongated enough, and his head is a little too round. He looks more like Morbius. Is he still in transformation or something? You think maybe I his think you snout can no hasn't elongated it by, yet? That. Yeah, I st- I still don't dig it though. I mean, I don't care for it. I, everything else I like. I just the the face doesn't work. And if the face of the monster doesn't work, then I don't know if your cover works. You know, so, um. I'm going to say, I'm going to give it a B minus. I really like it except for that face. If he had a proper wolf snout, then I, I think it would be, uh, I think it would work. Instead of that hokey snout thing yeah. he's got going under. But every, everything else looks pretty good. Interior art, uh, I really like the interior art for the most part. Uh, I agree with you, Paul. I, I don't care for the opening splash but the everything else in the opener of the space stuff you know john in his uh costume right up to where he transforms into the creature i like the recap um toward the end of the book there are some wonky bits for some reason and i couldn't put my finger on it but for some reason garth when he's out of costume the the thunder the barbarian version looking garth (laughs) looks incomplete somehow like he's just i don't know maybe it's his color scheme or something he just kind of looks washed out and like he's not properly inked all the way in or something it's just it's mm. hard to define but it just looks funny to me it looks like, like luke skywalker on roids yeah what well, he reminds me of like the early marvel comics version of luke where he was just always a little too buff and a little too like thundar looking beefy um but i, I like the fight uh, I really like where uh, Garth's like punching the the creatures like in the side of the throat or something. That's a really good picture. Uh, so I do I like the art a lot. I, I think it's really good, and I, I think it's uh, I think a lot of what's shoring up the art uh, is McLaughlin in this because as I say, there's other inkers I, that were on this title that just didn't do as uh, didn't do Perez as good a, a service as this. So art wise. Um, I think I'm going to go, I think I'll go a straight B on the R. I really like the art. Um, I'd probably go a B plus if I liked the opening splash better. That That's really my, my harshest criticism of all the pages is that opening splash. I just don't like it. The, the creature just looks funny. And why the hell is a spaceship flying out of his mouth? That just looks weird. Um, but I, I love how Jonah looks. And uh, yeah, a lot of the other stuff looks really good. Um, story, I don't know. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a C minus. I would go a straight D on the story if it wasn't for the opening space stuff that I really like. But the moment he turns into the creature, this story just, it's just, yeah, I, I agree with Paul. I think that there was some substances going on here or something. I would rather believe that 
as much as that thought annoys me, I would rather believe that than like David Anthony Kraft just can't write. Because I've read other stuff by him that I really like. So I don't know. I, I don't even know if it's so much a matter of he was just going for daring and different or something odd. I think that it's just like, yeah, let's throw some shit together, you know, smoke a little weed and write something kind of thing. And I think that's, I kind of think that's what's going on here. At least that's, that's how it feels anyway. But yeah, one, uh, unfortunately it, it starts strong and then it just goes completely off the rails. And I just don't, I don't like the direction it went, you know, the interdimensional crap and sending him off to be a warlord in space. And uh, I just, I didn't ever need any of that. I, he's a monster. I mean, that's enough for me. I want to see him transform into a monster and, and kill people and then have to deal with the ramifications of that because he's actually a good guy. I mean, you've got the whole uh, American werewolf in London thing working. Uh, that should be enough for me. So yeah, I don't, I don't need the space wacky stuff. That's all I got. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Overall grade, um, I'm going to say B minus because I do think it is worth picking up for the artwork. So yeah, overall grade B minus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I like the cover a lot. I think Klaus Janssen's inks on Gil Kane really make it pop. Mm-hmm. And the face of the wolf doesn't really bother me. I see what you're saying. I'm not saying that you're wrong. It's just, for whatever reason, it just doesn't bother me. So I'm going to say for the cover, I'm going to give it a B plus because I really like it. Um, well, who who drew the who drew the man wolf face in the in the bubble next to man wolf? The words. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess Tuska. I think that's from an earlier cover. I will look that up real quick. Ugh, that's I don't like that man wolf at all. That yeah, I couldn't tell you for sure on that. Uh, the interior art. My biggest criticisms are that splash page, which I just really don't care for. The opening splash page, uh, and I don't even the symbolism of it really just is lost on me. It doesn't really do anything. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Perez really hadn't gotten his footings footing yet as far as really being a top-notch storyteller. I think there's areas in that regard where, where it lacks a little bit. Uh, but overall, I think most of the artwork is pretty sharp. The individual drawings look pretty sharp. Uh, again, the backgrounds could be a little better. And that's, you know, those are the areas where I think Perez is going to improve as the years go by, or I think he did improve as the years go by. And you could even see on that two-page splash, when, you know, when, when put into... Uh, action where he's drawing backgrounds he does it fine there's no no real lack of creativity there it's just i think sometimes for expediency's sake he didn't so i'm gonna say it's it's very good but i know perez went on to do significantly better so i'm just gonna say a flat b on the interior art the story itself i differ from you scott in that I can kind of just buy into this thing. This reminds me a lot of last year when we did the Man Wolf story, not the Man Wolf, excuse me, the Man Thing story when they introduced Howard the Duck and there right. were these creatures coming from alternate realities. Right. At, at the, what is it, the nexus of whatever? Realities or something like, yeah. like that. Yeah. This, this That's what this is reminding me of. So I jokingly said it's surprising that this didn't come from Gerber, but I'm wondering if Gerber in his own way didn't influence this story. You know, it almost well, feels like it's ripped off from him. 
I have heard David Anthony Kraft described as kind of a poor man's Gerber, and this that theory might kind of bear out with this, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I'm, I mean, I see some inherent weaknesses to it, but I'm I'm along for the ride, and I'm just saying, yeah, it's crazy, but but I'm enjoying it. So the heck with it. Uh, so I'm gonna say, for me, a C plus on the story. To me, it's still okay. better than average. I still enjoy reading it. So overall, I'm going to say uh, just a straight B on the book. Cool. Well, um, hmm. yeah, the uh, the wheel on the cover does remind me of 2001, but also reminds me of the wheel in uh, Star Wars uh, books. Right. The wheel in the sky keeps it turning. It doesn't have the red skull in the middle of it, though. <laughs> Um, it's nice that he took time to rip up his uniform in space as he's dying. <laughs> Get this off of me. I can't breathe. Give this wolf some air. Um, and, uh, yeah, ambush bug or, or a guardsman is coming to pick him up and bring <laughs> him to the station. Um, I'm looking at the background in space and I think we, Paul, was it you and I? We were complaining, or what was it? What was it? The three of us were talking about backgrounds in space on a certain book. Yeah, there, there was one. The background it was in the Silver Surfer book, and you That's both right. felt the background was way, way too busy. Which didn't. Once again, it didn't really bother me, but I can't say you were wrong. <laughs> well, this one, I don't know. This one, I think because it's all different colors, it the busyness doesn't bother me for some reason. And I can kind of deal with it better than I did that other book. Because I think the other one, everything was like way too closely together and it was all the same color. I think they were all like a yellowish or white. This is, we've got a variation in color, like different stars and, and such. So I'm... Blue stars, I'm gonna, spring clovers, purple <laughs> diamonds. We Yeah, me lucky stars. Um, so I'm going to, actually, I'm, I'm going to give the co- I'm going to give the cover a B. I like the cover. I think it's pretty cool. Even with the smashed mid-transformation. That's what we'll no prize it. Mid-transformation face. Uh, the interior, well, you know, George Perez. And you can see the Perez to come. And this is a pretty good Perez here. I've got no major major beefs with this. Other than maybe some of the, like, a little bit of the storytelling, like where he falls down the shaft. It's kind of questionable that you do have to read into what happened there. Um, but the two-page page Altered Beast uh, shot is nice. Uh, so interior, I'm going to give the interior a B plus. And the story, yeah, this reminds me of stories of old at this time and wacky storylines that you would have to follow sometimes from different books and that would lead into others, which I guess this one will as well. So I'm going to give this story uh, a B as well, so... I, that's me. That's Mr. Bill for B. Okay. Moving on to our second book of the day. You or me, Bill? Uh, we'll do mine because mine's quick. Okay. And it is from Charlton uh, Space Adventures, which we looked up and actually is a reprint from 1963, 68, I think. 68. 68. And the cover is Boyette. Although we all thought it was Infantino. 
That I believe is correct, sir. Judging by the alien on the cover, but we're not even going to get to that story. I'm only covering the first story in the book. And the first story in the book is entitled His Own Little World. And it has... His Own Little World. (laughs) I'm going to read the intro, much like Scott did his. I have one in my book as well. Major Rudd. Ground control to Major Rudd. Second in command of Earth Patrol Craft Omega GG. Oh, thank heaven. He went on to play Ant-Man, little... didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank heaven for little girls. Gigi, get it? Oh, never mind. <sighs> Major, I almost said Major Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Second just happy to have messed you up that much. Second in command of Earth Patrol Omega Gigi is at the controls relieving Commander Sutcliffe and Navigear Leeds, who are in the long sleep chambers, so helpful on these long space patrols. But Navigator Leeds is suspicious, and on the fourth day, his alarm stimulates him back to consciousness, and he stealthily enters the main control cabin. That's when the fight begins. Stanley so, presents his own little world. <laughs> his own little world. Where you can fly and crash your ship to get away from the earth. Oh, anyway. I just want to say that whenever anybody calls me insane, I do the same thing that he does right here. Don't say that! Punch him right in the mouth. <laughs> so apparently they're just a tad off course. And if anybody has... A million miles. <laughs> if anybody has seen Airplane 2, it's based Earth. That's a million miles. <laughs> Major, we're a million miles off course. Why are you flying towards... Uh! Of course, I didn't know that uh, was a planet. I wish they hadn't taken cockpit quite so literally in the design of this spaceship, too. What are you you trying to say? Um, nothing. You meddling fool, I intended to spare you, but now I can't. Take take note. Take note of this dialogue, okay? You meddling fool, I intended to spare you, but now I can't. Wouldn't that be implying that he's not going to be spared? Keep that in yeah. mind. Next panel. This is so. This story's so short. I'm just going to do panel by panel, r- r- real quick. Rudd, you're insane, and much like you said, Scott. Don't say that. Smack. And whack, he punches him. And he punches him again. Insane, eh? I knew you'd say that sooner or later. It's what the commander thinks too. Take that, you swine. Watch out, you idiot! My electro simulator. Whoa, which looks like a chair with a giant eyeball on the top of it. You almost fell into it. It could have been fatal. Oh, thanks, Major Paul Rudd. I didn't mean <laughs> fatal to you, you fool. I meant to my machine. Quack, and he knocks him out. And then he kind of uh, <laughs> creepily hugs his uh, the giant eyeball on the top of the chair. It's all right. He almost ruined my life's work. Now for the commander. And uh, I'll reach Aruna in a few days. <laughs> what? <laughs> Look at that last panel on page two. <laughs> I think Don't it's a... text and fly, for Christ's sake. <laughs> for those of you who can't see the story, there's uh, usually you'd have like a like an energy stream coming behind a ship as it's traveling, oh, I don't know, in a straight line, like the engine wake. This is kind of goes up. 
comes down at like a 45 degree angle then takes like a a 30 degree angle then a 60 degree angle down and then another like 90 degree angle up and then another 45 and then another 45 until you get to the ship so you yeah some pretty wacky and this guy's the navigator (laughs) 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 wonder he's insane don't say that I'll reach Aruna in a few days. I'd better dispose of the commander and that fool leads. Notice I said dispose, and earlier he said he intended to spare them. He's lucky. He only bruised a. He's only bruised a bit. Might he's he's only bruised a bit, and might regain consciousness soon. Mustn't have that. So he, uh, I guess he smokes a bong over his nose. And blows the smoke into his... <laughs> and knocks him out. <laughs> Commander's due to awaken 96 hours. Must remove the plastic shell. Why don't you just leave him in a plastic shell? With the shell open, the commander begins to awaken. Duh! Anything wrong, Paul Rudd? Oh, not really, old boy. Gas, 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 gas. Not anymore. <laughs> and he hyperbongs him to sleep. Let's note, he woke him up to put him back to sleep. So, just want to say... Now Major Paul Rudd straps the unconscious man into the smaller craft housed inside the patrol vehicle. I've set the instruments. I've set the instruments. You two will reach the galactic outpost in Orion in a month or so. Uh, wait, but time out. Weren't you going to do away with these guys? <laughs> and now you're just going to cut them loose and they're going to reach some outpost in, in a month? So anyway, he shoots them off to the galactic outpost and... Um, continues on his merry course and says now I can proceed with my my plan whether it's insane or not we don't know next we see see a uh, a his ship coming in either he's flying out of the sun or he's coming in real hot on this planet full of some of the most I don't know if these are like Disney reject animals yeah I, I like the cat <laughs> raccoon there he's the really ca- he's just like bounding boing I'm so it's, happy. It's a it's a cocoon. It's a cocoon. Yeah, that's, he's that's... got a little raccoon wow. tail with he's got and he's like turning and smiling at the camera. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm I'm a cocoon. No, I'm cheating the rabbit. The, then you got the parrot buzzards, the one just kind of just hanging out. The other one's like, what the hell was that? And he's looking straight down. I love that. Yeah, he's like, I dropped my contact. You got the volcano that's blowing out like chocolate chips or something. What the hell is this planet? Woohoo! And then there's like the plant shooting milk up to the air, which maybe that's milk. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that is. It's, candy it's a milk. white. It's a white substance shooting out. This is where Cookie Crisp comes from. That's why the other birds ducking because that shit almost hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> He's like, whoa, whoa, dude, whoa! Did you see that? <laughs> and the other birds like backing away, like, man, I'm glad that missed me. So anyway, Paul Rudd's crashing in into the planet. Says Aruna, with ideal climate, atmosphere, vegetation, and non-hostile creatures. Okay, waiting for someone to come along and rule. I'll rule my own world. Me, Nathaniel Paul Rudd. <laughs> the cl- okay. I just want to note <laughs> in the previous one, it looked like he's already in the atmosphere and everything. Next, we see him out in space. The closer I get, the better it looks. Huh? Okay. You had to you had to go around and approach from the other direction. Cause next we see is just careful. The commander always handled the landings. Curse him. He wouldn't let teach me the technique. Wouldn't you think if everybody went in space, everybody would I don't know be taught how to land the ship in case of an emergency, in case somebody gets knocked out? 
Yeah, and, and again, he's coming in the land crash, uh, or he's come, coming in the land with the. We got the cocoons, uh, we got the milk mountains with, and we got the <laughs> chips shooting across the screen again. <laughs> and uh, and man, this guy just plows this thing right into the ground. Too hard. Forgot to fire the second stage retro rockets. Now try again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean now try again? You've already crashed, dumbass. There is no trying again. One of your engines is flown off and the other wing is shattered. There is no now try again. So the, that the monkey cat- squirrel thing is going like, holy shit. The cat coons are ducking. One's like got his head buried between his legs. While the thing's- you see him? You see the one in the middle? He's like, oh my God, we're all going to die. The other one's going, holy shit! And the other one's high as a kite, not even paying attention. (laughs) So, Major Paul Rudd smashes all around the landscape in one shot. He pilots on the the ground as well as he does in space. As it looks like he came down, bounced off the ground, came back up again, almost hit the spray of chocolate chips, and then crashed and skidded. Oh, no, but he didn't skid yet because in the next panel, he's still sliding with the ship, and then he says, "Uh (laughs) (sighs) uh-oh. So he finally came... So he finally crashes completely, gets out, and says, wrecked it. Now I can never leave Aruna. No shit, Sherlock. So much better. Damn near killed him. (laughs) Wrecked him. (laughs) So much better. I wanted to create. So much the better. I wanted to create my own world. I've got my electro simulator. There's nothing to stop me. Measured at Earth time, it takes Rudd almost a month to assemble the simulator. Wasn't it already assembled on the ship? (sighs) But he's in no hurry. He's got plenty of time. There's time now. There's time on my planet. So, and he says, that does it. While the catcoons and the monkeys and... What what is that thing sitting on, like, a space tortoise? What is that? You see it? Yeah. I don't know what that is. They're all very happy. It's got, like, one eye. got one eye and a smile. They, for one, welcome (laughs) their new alien leader. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then there's another bird. Maybe those birds just hang upside down and look at things because you see the ones looking at them. Yeah. Like, hey, what's going on? So as he sits in his chair, he says, my invention will, will recreate anything I can clearly picture in my mind. I must know the theory and construction, though otherwise the reproduction will be flawed. And, of course, on a planet full of, of non-hostile uh, creatures, what's the first thing you need? A weapon. First, I need weapons. One of the miniature nuclear cannons I studied the construction before I embarked upon this voyage. Rudd hadn't realized how much strain it would be it would impose as his brain is drained of facts. <laughs> as your, his brain is drained of facts, he feels da, a terrible weakness. Da, 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 da. So like any good man and human, the first thing he does to create on a new world is the Mark 23 handgun nuclear pellet. And he fires it. Notice I said nuclear. What would it imply with nuclear? Oh, I don't know. Radiation? So what does he do? He fires it right next to himself. (laughs) Radiation. And he probably blew up some poor little cat coon there. That's what I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was imagining in that shot that he's killing all those stupid creatures that were abominations. 
So next we see Paul Rudd's fertile mind pictures a space sled for him to use exploring Aruna, a laboratory where he can continue his experiments, luxurious living quarters, and finally a couple of robots to help him with the heavy work. Why doesn't he just, I don't know, dream up an effing spaceship and leave? No, but he doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay here. Ah, I can't talk to the robots. I used to know a man when I was a space cadet. His name was Flynn. (laughs) He'd be helpful to have around. I don't know if the simulator could duplicate a human being. All right, I'm, I'm going to spoil ahead a little bit. Flynn's an asshole. What was he going to be helpful with? In the he's not the least bit helpful. Helpful <laughs> with what? Loneliness? It worked. Flynn, remember me, Nathaniel Rudd? We were at we were together at Carnaval. Yeah, yeah, you were a real cube. <laughs> Always it's with, the like Kirk with the rest of us. It would be kind of like Kirk recreating that idiot who tortured him in the academy. Right. He was always cooler than me. Let me create him. Yeah. He used to make and my life a living hell. As, as Rudd tells Flynn, this planet is all mine, Flynn. Look, isn't it beautiful? I created the lab and the house. And even this Barley Rat Ravidson. Oh, Harley Davidson. Wow. Addison Sky Sled. Yeah, always liked him, Nady. I'll try her out. Hey, Square, look at me. <laughs> He's mad, totally insane. I shouldn't have picked him to duplicate. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm I young s- Peter Parker. Let me recreate Flash Thompson and bring him here. Right. When I get sick of him, I'll dematerialize him again. Isn't he sick of him right now? <laughs> After a few days in which Paul Rudd works and Flynn is a know-it-all... Hey, Daddy-O, what's, what's to do on this planet? Look, this I know a couple... the hippest dude in space right here. I know a couple babes in Miami Beach who'd... No, I'm creating a civilization here, Flynn. I You're refuse... going to need babes for that. I refuse I just to want to say... Frivolity and corruption to be present here. <laughs> Stupid ass. Hey, it was just a suggestion, sir. You know who's boss around here. Mind if I watch you uh, work this gadget? I don't care what you do. Just don't touch it or I'll atomize you with my nuclear cannon. What a dick. He's recreating an electron microscope for his research. And this is really, really a tough one. <laughs> looks like he's taking a crap on the electrostimulator is what it looks like. <sighs> Dead alder is to it? Yes. Don't bother me, Flynn. Go help the robots wash windows or something. Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So Flynn does some snooping and says, "Eh, I could work it hmm, to make it work. You got to really to think of that. Now, this is where everything if if stuff hasn't broken down now, this is where things really break down and go off the edge. You got to really think of it of the uh, of the object. Clearly here here pictures of things which Rudd used for reference. Wait a minute, here's a snapshot of a dame. If she were here, life would be a lot more interesting. I'll try it. It's uh, like some blonde hottie in, in a nice two-piece. So Flynn stares at the picture. He Where, the, the, where is Flynn, his other hand? Flynn stares. <laughs> I haven't got there yet. Flynn stares at the picture. He feels the surging power tearing at his brain, but it's working. But he's got uh-huh. one eye closed, one eye open, his head shaking back and forth. He's holding the picture up. And Sweating. We don't, 
He's sweating, and we don't see his other hand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Groan! <laughs> it's agony, <laughs> but it's working. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> he has a face. He's got the O face and sweat coming all over him. Uh, Nate runs in. Flynn, you idiot! Turn it off. You don't know how to handle that. And, and Flynn looks like he's ready to smoke a cigarette, and he's got a, his fist. <laughs> his fist is like really got a death grip there, and uh, like it was gripping the, you know, something, flight controller or something. And uh, <laughs> Flynn goes, "That ain't the dame I wanted." The picture I used was, and Rudd goes, "20 years old. This is the way your subject looks today on Earth." Huh? Well, yeah, I, Nathaniel, I don't get that. Well, Nathaniel, surprised. Well, see, now it's the blonde babe, but she's uh, she's uh, twice the women she used to be. Hefty, hefty, say. hefty. She's quite buxom. <laughs> yes, I mean she's still not bad, but she's uh, oh, she's, she's a bruiser, bad. man. Please, Bill. Yeah. Well, you know, I, hey, you know, to each his own. You Our thought you'd get away, from mud, mud. You thought you'd get away from me, didn't you, worm? You never intended to return to Earth. <laughs> Tell the truth, Nathaniel, did you? No, no, I, I, I never wanted to see you again. You mean? Exactly. You electro-simulated my wife, who was the primary reason why I came here in the first place. <laughs> this Rudd's first order is to destroy the simulator. After that, after you finish cutting the grass, you can take out the garbage. And meanwhile, Nathaniel Paul Rudd mows the lawn and Flynn is a raking under the hot sun as <laughs> Mrs. Rudd sucks down the space bonbons, looking on in ecstasy. Where exactly do you take out the garbage? I mean, you're not putting it by the curb. <laughs> so this truly is space horror at its best. I got to wow. say, Bill, you know, you, you, you said you wanted to do this one next because it's a short one. What was that like a twenty-five minute synopsis? <laughs> well, it just seemed too too good. I just want to, you know. I'm just saying, just comment. No, no, no judgments. Just a comment. Do I ever do anything short? No comment. <laughs> We'd have to ask Jen. <laughs> so this is Steve Ditko art, and yeah. I kind of liked it. I, you know, I had no major problems with the art. The animals look a little goofy. <laughs> I mean, the story is just a little, uh, I mean, it's it's a fun little romp. I mean, it doesn't quite fit space horror, you know, it's kind of t- tongue-in-cheek, you know, where we, that's where, you know, you said er, er, earlier, Scott, in, in in our chat, that you were like, oh, God, this this is truly a horror story. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let Mrs. Gardner know, right? <laughs> uh, so what'd you guys wow. think? <laughs> it was fun, and it was funny. Yeah, it was very funny. So I, it was I a have damn no problem. spaceship, that's for sure. I, I have no problem with the silliness of the story and the just you know the concepts of it, just because it was a funny thing to read and it was enjoyable. Reminded me of Do you remember the Twilight episode? The little episode, the little people. The astronauts uh, land on a planet. I think Claude Akins is one of them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and, and like they they big... discover these little people who are like the size of ants, and eventually the other guy, whatever actor that was. Right, like subjugates he, them and makes them make a giant statue of him. Yeah, and then like these other larger guys show up. Yeah, they actually break his neck. They're like, "Oh, looks like you killed it." Uh. Oh well. <laughs> yep. 
That also reminds me of the one with uh, um, Agnes Moorhead, where she plays the woman that's being terrorized the by the invaders. little robots, the invaders. And then you find out the end that it was actually it was a, it was a U.S. flying saucer, and those were actually astronauts in the little robot suits. And they're like, "We're trying to take off! Oh my God, it's a giant!" Oh, and, you know, she's giant Endora. Yeah. <laughs> But you feel sorry for her through the whole thing because you think she's being terrorized by these little robot aliens. So, yeah, there was some good good space stuff on there. Good space stuff, and this this, this kind of reminded me of that. This could easily be, uh, although some of the logic in here is, you know, first he says he's going to get rid of these guys, like he's going to kill them, and he just jettisons them. And uh, you know, the internal logic kind of breaks down. Yeah, well, and I think the the biggest point that breaks it down is. He recreates his idiot friend from wherever, and he gets the guy he expects. But when that guy tries to recreate the beautiful blonde, he gets the one from 20 years later for some reason. Which makes no sense at all. No. You can't no-prize that one, I don't think. You just have to say, okay. Yeah, because you could see if Rudd had simulated his wife that she would show up the way she is. But all this guy is looking at is at a picture. And she looks different in the picture, so she should have appeared as she was in the picture. Plus, the so. guy who's simulating her doesn't know her, so he doesn't know her personality. Okay, well, plus the guy that's simulating, he's already a simulation. This mm. is like a simulation of a simulation, <laughs> so... Ew. It's like Beatlemania. So, like, you know, each copy gets a little worse and worse, you know. Like running a copy through a copy machine over and over again. Yeah, she's sucking down them space bonbons, that's for sure. I thought the last panel looks like it's out of like an Archie comic. Yeah. <laughs> Betty put on some weight. <laughs> and Archie and Reggie. Veronica are finally wins. Slaving in the hot sun. Mr. Weatherby finally did, had the change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, some of the suggestive Steve Ditko. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Flynn stares at the picture. Mm -hmm. Square, dude. I like some of the Ditko space things. Yeah. You are a real cube. <laughs> yeah, there's no no uh no writing credit in this story. So we don't we don't know whose whose minds you know concocted this one. I wonder if it's Ditko. Could be. I wonder if he he just did everything on this. Well, he's not actually credited either. We just you know it's just obviously him, right? Uh, I thought I thought I saw Ditko somewhere in one of the pages, like a, a, a Ditko, his name somewhere, like a sick signature or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm scanning through right now, looking at all. I could have swore I saw a Ditko stashed away somewhere. I, I didn't, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just never, I didn't see any credit at all. But this has to be Steve Ditko. Oh yeah, there's no question. Yeah, it is. Now I'm not seeing it. Maybe it was something else. Ground control. Yeah, this dude's a lunatic. <laughs> Don't call me that. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> Take that, you swine. Meddling fool. <laughs> you meddling fool. I intended to spare you, but now I can't. 
Which which I'm taking to mean he was going to take the guy along with him to this planet. What the hell is it? Aruba or whatever. Aruba, Jamaica. Uh, <laughs> right. I hate that song. And, and then he's like, nah, I'll just put you in the life pod and send you out there into space. It's drawn anyway. by Steve Ditko. So he didn't There's kill these guys. He, he sent them back where they came from. So what happens in six months when the space police show up? They're not going to let him keep the friggin' planet, right? Dude, did you see the course that guy was plotting? <laughs> well, okay. I thought maybe this and was he, their and... original destination. So you're saying, he... oh, okay, yes, they were off course. Right at the yeah, beginning. Reverend so, okay, and Megan Miles were just a tad off course. Okay, so, so they so weren't. Theoretically, he created nuclear weapons if the, if the space police came after him. So so they weren't intent to go to Aruna in the first place then, right? No, no. He was going to get rid of them one way or the other. It just makes it sound I like he it. was going to kill them, but then he just right. jettisons them. I don't know why he didn't just atomize the chick. Yeah, you would think he's got the nuclear pellet gun, although maybe he used all the nuclear pellets on the catcoons. Well, maybe he's <laughs> just so henpecked that he didn't dare. I think I he's got the loony myself. I think that's the biggest problem he's got. <laughs> he's got the, uh, he's like, uh, he's been neuralized. <laughs> no, I never, never wanted to see you again. <laughs> this robot's creepy too. It's like, uh, I yeah, I, 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 mm. it is. Eh. Oh, but he's a nice manservant. I missed that one. He's carrying a, like a. <laughs> I don't know if the simulator can duplicate a human being, so I'll duplicate an asshole instead. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what I would do. Duplicate somebody in my life that I couldn't stand. Well, yeah, that, that's the th you know he's here on this planet all by himself. He's got nothing but crazy, weird, animated animals, and this creepy robot. So he decides to you know he's lonely. He wants to bring somebody else in. So he doesn't bring in a bunch of naked like chicks with big tits he brings in this asshole that he went to college with he's like what yeah the first thing that guy says to him is yeah you were a real cube <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> thanks for bringing me back asshole <laughs> always with the books never swinging with the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> hey square look at me <laughs> he looks like namor in that panel too <laughs> Namor in space! Oh, my <laughs> lord. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? This, this story is just funny on so many levels. Oh, it is. It's awesome. Hey, Daddy-O, what's to do on this planet? I know a couple babes in Miami Beach who'd... No, I'm creating a civilization here, Flynn. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite part of this entire thing. He's, he wants to bring in some Miami babes... And this guy says, no, I'm creating a civilization. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Look at the face that I Flynn makes on the next page. How he He's looking at building a civilization, but I think it starts that way, right? Look at the face that Flynn makes on the next page. He's like, oh, God, you're lame. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's pointing his finger at him, I refuse to allow frivolity and corruption to be present here. And he's just looking at him like, oh, God, just drop this, dead. Is this cube for real? <laughs> you were always such a cube. I love that. <laughs> I think I'm going to start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to integrate that into my uh, yep. my, my speak. I'm going to call people You cubes. are a real cube. Always with the books, never swinging with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, story of my life. 
You cube. I'm just a cube. I'm just yes, a I'm cube. Yes, I'm only. There's <laughs> only a cube. <laughs> I guess that's that's like a square. Even worse than a square. I know you. You're a you're a square in multiple dimensions. Four dimensions. All right. Write this, this damn thing already. All right. Uh, the cover doesn't really apply. I'm not going to even cover the cover. I mean, unless you guys want to talk about the cover of the book. Um, Other than it looks like Carmine Infantino, but it's, it's not. It's, yeah, it's I, don't, like, I don't think there's any point great in covering it. Carmine Infantino. Yeah. That's the only thing I got to say about it. Yeah. So we're just going to skip it. It looks like it has nothing to do with the story. I think it has more to do with like the last story, but I didn't even read that. So... Uh, talk about the talk about the title splash though because this is not making any sense to me. Which one? The stories are all out of order. Oh yeah, in the first page, the yeah. one that says, "How does this unusual stranger use a dramatic, strange power?" Read the third planet. Well, that's the third story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Little does Major Rudd know of the surprises that the that. What surprise? What? Well, yeah. Of what? The surprises the that explode oh in editing, his own little editing. world. His own little world. Uh, apparently, and then Charles the, Thomas couldn't afford a proofread. So this does this mean they got it wrong back then too? I mean, is this is this I a fake thing? Uh, wow. And then the last story that's listed on the opening page, which is actually the story in the middle, a kill and cure for the common cold, the planet which had almost everything. And you got a bunch of one-eyed, bat-eared, lemon drop head. People they are just abominations. Who right I there. glanced at that, and they basically they the planet they were on had everything, and the Earth people came with a cold and killed everybody on the planet. <laughs> Take that, you alien <laughs> bastards! <laughs> and that's what they said. Well, they had almost everything, but they didn't have germs. Well, whoopty fucking do! Thanks a lot for nothing. You killed an entire civilization because this one chick had a cold. She goes a chew, and then they all go and they drop like dominoes all over the planet. Nice. Look at them! Look at them! They had it coming. Lazy. They're asking for it all the time. <laughs> Pointy-headed freaks. Freaks. So I'm gonna go with the art first, and. It's some <laughs> lovely Steve Ditko with some lovely faces. <laughs> it's some compromising positions. So I'm going to give the art a B. The story, I'm going to give it an A just because it's ridiculous. <laughs> the story is just... I mean, it's some, some of it's I, poorly edited, I think, and just worded. But I, it, it just cracked me up. That's why I had to do it. So I'm going to give it a B+. <laughs> What do you guys say? Um, artwork. Eh, I mean, you know, it's 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 standard Ditko. It it looks pretty good and everything. I'm not the biggest Ditko fan in the world, but it it it's it's serviceable and everything. I, I'm gonna say uh, I'll give it a C plus. I think it's it's better than average um, non Spider-Man Ditko. So I, I like that. Um, those three panels of Flynn using the electro, whatever the hell it is, are just hysterical because he is clearly rubbing one out to that picture. That that's that just cracks me up. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, C plus on the art story. Uh, <laughs> it's 
I don't know. It's it's nutty. It's it's really wacky. I'm tempted to give it an A too, just because it did. You know, if you take this as humor, which I don't think it was intended to be, if you take it as humor, yeah, it's an A because it it cracks me the hell up. But if you take it the way I think it was intended, it's like an F because it's just stupid. You know, but uh, I don't. Know. I think I'm going to go smack middle of the road to be fair to to the both. I'm just going to say C. So overall, I think it's a it's just it's right in the middle. It's a, it's a C, but it, it is fun. I mean, it's so much fun. I was cracking up reading this. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to say the artwork. It's, you know, it's typical Ditko, like you say. Um, the storytelling, I think, is really strong. The pictures could use a little more detail, but, you know, nothing there that really bothers me. I'm going to say just a straight-up B for the artwork. And story-wise, I disagree, Scott. I think it's intended to be funny. Look at the ending. She's sitting there eating a bonbon, telling him to take out the garbage. I mean, that's that's not serious. That's meant to be funny. Then this this woman shows up twenty years later. Even even the whole thing, the way he's being treated, you know, yeah, you, you always wore a cube. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think it, you know, I think they knew that was funny. I think it was intended to be funny. So I'm going to give the story an A. I think I think okay. it's meant to be that, and I'll give it overall All a right. B plus. I'll take it back. I'll I'll give it an A then, because uh, yeah. Uh, on the comedy level, it definitely works. It, it cracked me up. You know, we we just recently had an episode you guys weren't able to make it, and uh, Hero brought in uh, Ambush Bug. Right. And it, we didn't think it was funny at all. And I was commenting then, and I, I think it's true and it's appropriate to mention here. Written comedy is difficult. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier to do physical comedy, even even when it's intellectual, but just presenting it verbally and and you know, with, with you, the ability to move while you're speaking, I think adds to the level of comedy. It's the delivery very often that's what's so funny. So written comedy becomes so much more difficult. And to write a story like this, I, I, you know, there's some subtle humor in it and there's some smacking in the face humor in it. I, I just think it's really well done. <laughs> Anyway, I guess yeah. we'll move on to our final book of the night. Yeah, come on, Cube. I'm gonna be a Cube <laughs> and do a do a story that's not so funny. And I have gonna bring gonna bring us down. Yeah, man. <laughs> My book is from February of 1974. It's World's Unknown number five from Marvel Comics. Had a cover price of twenty cents. <laughs> Sorry, I just did you see what Scott changed the Skype picture to? I did. <laughs> let me let me interrupt to see. No, I still have Scott the Centurion on mine. Oh, no. He's, he's changed. <laughs> I'll see it when it changes. You'll see it when it changes. So the cover on my book is by Gil Kane, and it shows the interior of a spaceship with a creature that looks kind of like a black panther with two long tentacles coming from its shoulder blades. The creature is perched on an upper deck and using the tentacles to attack the people on board. The cover text states, A monster stalks this spaceship. A Marvel masterwork in the tradition of TV's Star Trek. Black what? Destroyer, A.E. Von Vogt's Tale of Terror from Beyond the Void. And the story, which is titled Black Destroyer, is based on a story by this, this writer, A.E. Von Vogt, that was actually published in 1939. Scripted by Roy Thomas, drawn by Dan Atkins, and ink by Jim Mooney. And 
other than the part on the cover where they say it's like Star Trek, there's nothing like Star Trek in this story. <laughs> but that said, let's move on to our story. We open to an egg-shaped ship lowering down to the surface of a planet where the creature from the cover, who is apparently called Coerl, looks on. We're told that he watches with growing hunger for Is He Not the Black Destroyer? As he watches it, he grows anxious, and his cat-like eyes burn with horrible desire that cause an agony within him. The crew of the ship emerge and scan the ruins of this world. Coral thinks back to others that have landed on the planet that he attacked. He recalls them using weapons to drive him off and decides that he needs to know more about these people before attacking. The people then see him watching them, and they begin to debate whether to study or shoot the creature. He continues to approach them and presents himself as a friendly little kitty. They talk about studying him, and he walks right onto their ship and goes on board. He shows an ability to adapt to the different atmosphere on the ship, and they decide to let him roam free and close the door. But when they close the door, Coral takes that as him being trapped, and he uses his claws and tentacles to rip the metal to shreds. Despite this, the captain tells the people to lower their weapons, and then Coral calms himself. He decides that he must hold himself back just a little longer. Coral sees a man wander to the ruins on his own and follows him. He slows to a crouching lope, and when the man lowers his guard, it's time to attack. The man's absence is noted, and when they find his deceased body, one of the men accuses Coral, but will go with innocent until proven guilty and just let him run free. The testing shows that the dead man has no phosphorus left in his body. So, to test Coral, they fill a bowl with phosphorus and kind of just want to watch and see what he does. He approaches the bowl and then slaps it right back at the man, hitting the guy in the face with the bowl. He wraps up one of the men with his tentacles and another takes aim and fires at him, but it has no effect. The commander orders that they stop firing and says that they're under orders to bring in a living thing. Could this commander be more stupid? <laughs> he decides to have the creature locked up, you know, like because they held him so well before. And he willingly goes into a chamber and gets locked up. It waits patiently, but after an hour it uses its tendrils to pick the electronic lock and bursts upon the guards. He decides that he wants to get control of the ship and go to their planet to feed off the people. He makes his way to the sleeping quarters and attacks before any alarm can be sounded. His goal is to keep the humans as confused as possible and to have, his, have them look at him just as a specimen. Too valuable to be destroyed without proof that he's actually guilty. So he returns to his cage and locks himself in. So the crew continues to debate on whether on, on who or what is killing these people. One of the men defies orders and sets off the weapons within the cell. And we're told atomic weapons would have killed him, but sadly, these are not atomic weapons. Just the same, they think he's dead. But suddenly, the ship jerks as it careens into space. The captain crawls and makes his way to get the crew their suits, and they see that the creature has cut through several walls and made its way to the engine room. The captain finally accepts that Coral is a murderous superbeing. Duh! They aim their disintegrators at a, at a doorway, but it doesn't give way. They keep firing and finally melt the door. When it does, Coral escapes into a spaceship 
into into space in a small rocket that he get this threw together while they were battering in the doors. He just made a rocket with his cat paws. They watch this on their view screen as he heads towards the sun. But the sun grows smaller as he approaches it and then vanishes only to be replaced by the ship he just left. Coral determines that he cannot face the fire of an atomic disintegrator and so instead he manipulates his vinyl organs to commit suicide. Then we get a little scientific denouement where they tell us about something called anti-acceleration and how that by stopping they flashed past him at millions of miles per second. And that said, it's time to go home. Now, I read that and I was scratching my head and I said to myself, what the hell are they talking about? And I was all, all ready to give Blaine Dowler the, <laughs> uh, the assignment to figure that out for us. But then they, they directed us to the, uh, the letters page, which has an explanation of this, which was kind of interesting. So I'm going to read it. The point of Black Destroyer was that the alien, Coral, was a primitive he operated on instinct, not on the basis of intellectual reasoning and knowledge. He didn't know how things work, though he could put together, excuse me, though he could put working things together to function for him, as when he made a little spaceship by combining pieces from the large spaceship. Coral then didn't know and couldn't work out the details of any navigation, except that which had always come naturally to him in his life on his own planet. He had always navigated by aiming at what he saw and going till he got there. Remember, he lived all his life on a planet which had no moon, no planetoids, and no neighboring planets aside from his planet's sun. The nearest object was 900 light years away. He had no idea that planets move, much less that the universe is moving, and much less that all concepts of travel he had used go out the window when traveling at faster than light speeds. In order to get from the big spaceship to his own planet, Coral needed to know space navigation, that he had to decelerate three hours before reaching the planet. He zipped right by his planet by aiming his ship at where the planet, excuse me, aiming his ship at the planet where the planet had been when he began. He was fouled up by the motion of the planet, by the time lag caused by the time it took light from the planet to reach him, and by the visual distortions of faster-than-light travel. It faded because of the distortions of faster-than-light flight. It vanished when he got a real view of what was actually where the planet had been, which was nothing. The human ship had anti-accelerators, but Coral didn't know about them, since they weren't turned on till after he left the ship. That was the point at which he had the impression that just before it disappeared, it moved. The anti-accelerators made it possible for the human ship to come to a screeching halt without plastering the entire crew all over the ship with the incredible stop from much faster than light speeds. But they stopped relative to everything, including the movement of the galaxy. So there you have it. The humans came to a screeching halt. One possible layout of the situation then would have been the ship sitting in space, zip, and by them sped at some tangent or other, the planet of Coral's origin. Zip and by them rushed the little ship with Coral, going swiftly, but not nearly as swiftly as they were going by letting everything else go by them, stopping absolutely with reference to the rest of the universe. So suddenly they were ahead of Coral and began moving again, just as suddenly become, becoming visible, but they were in front of Coral this time, and he, confused, frightened, and furious, destroyed himself. Van Vogt's science can be argued with, 
but the story was a great success when it appeared in 1939 and is still a powerful one. <sighs> that was a mouthful. So basically they used the Picard maneuver on him? Yeah, They yes. appeared in two places at once? But no, the other not, thing I think not about... Not really. That's a different thing of science, but yeah. To really, really, really simplify it beyond, I guess, what it should be, but I just think about... Like if you're playing football, and I know Scott, you can relate to this, right? You, you, yeah, you have to throw where the receiver is going to be, not where he's at. When you exactly, throw the ball. you don't see him 15 feet from you and throw the ball 15 feet from you. He's in a run, so you throw the ball 20 feet from you, mm-hmm. and he's got to run and catch up to the ball. So that, to me, that it's a way oversimplification of it, but that's the idea I get in my head. And when you think about it, you know, writing this in 1939. You know, before we were actually involved in space travel, I mean, it, it has some, you know, some pretty far out concepts there. Whoa, man. And, one, and another hurts. thing, just in, in looking up some things about the story, and I've never read the original source material, so I don't know how much this varied off of it. But uh, apparently, when the movie Alien came out, uh, Van Vogt was still alive, and he sued them that they had stolen something from his story or some aspects of his story, and that was settled out of court. With this with this story? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny, because I, I, when I read this, not having known that, I thought that there were some similarities to Aliens. That, that's funny that you say that. Hmm. I, I remember this cover from when I was a kid. Seeing this and, and think, just thinking the cover looked cool, you know, the Gilcane creature on the cover, which really hmm. is mostly kind of a Black Panther with a little bit of a humanoid face and these tentacles coming out of it. And right. in the interior, he's not drawn quite as humanish. Humanish, yeah. Human. Oh, sorry. But but it's it's very it's similar enough that I don't I don't really have a problem with it. But I remember just thinking at the time that I kind of liked it. I thought it looked cool. And I had never had a chance to read this until now. It's the first time I ever read it. And, and I dug it. I thought it was really kind of cool. And, and especially when you start getting the history of it being, you know, again, 1939, you know, before we had ever sent anybody into space. I think, I think it's, I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I'm curious to know what you guys thought of it. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well no 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 I, I was just trying to think like what now that you said that he sued them I mean the creature is able to pass through metal um, like but they don't really say maybe in his story it describes how the cat was able to cut through the me- the hole like maybe it used its saliva or something and maybe like I don't know I would be interested to read the original story now to see the comparisons to Alien like, how did it cut through that metal to get to the engine room? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the way they employ it in the story itself is that he uses his claws and those tentacles. But I don't know if in the, you know, in, in the uh, text version, if it's the same. Mm. They did they did have something in, in that uh, letters page where they have the description. It did say something to the effect of uh, originally Roy Thomas and Dan Atkins planned the story as a complete co-effort. Later, for various reasons, the dapper one was unable to finish more than layouts on the entire tale, and Jungle Jim Mooney courageously stepped in to help finish the job. As a result, Roy didn't have a chance in scripting the story to make a few changes, 
which would have given him room at the end to explain the pseudo-scientific twist, which a sci-fi, which sci-fi master A.E. Van Vogt tossed in low those several decades ago. And then that's why they put the explanation that they gave us. Hmm. So I can't I think, help Scott, but notice... I get the impression you were less than impressed by it. Yeah, no, no. I, I, uh, I thought it was okay. Um, I can't help but notice that the the crew is the very crew mellow. Oh, sorry. When the <laughs> the side of the ship just dissolves, they're so mellow they don't even get blown out into space or anything. So yeah, um, uh, yeah. It's it's okay. It's it didn't really do anything for me. I like the art. I like. I, I can see where they're comparing it to Star Trek. Um, I think it's a bit of a stretch to compare it to, you know, to, to build that on the cover that, yeah, this is this is Star Trek like, yeah, because I mean, it's you know what it really reminded me of more than Star Trek is just by the nature of the ship and the and the small band let me, of the let me crew guess, and space everything. 1999. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, you know, believe it or not, I never watched that show, so I really don't know a lot about space 1999. It actually reminded me more of uh, the black hole. Because oh. the ship is kind of similar oh, yeah. to uh, what was Palomino. That, Palomino, yeah, and all that. But yeah, I definitely can see the the parallels with um, with Alien. You know, with the with you know the creature can dissolve through the metal walls and all that. Um, you know, it sucks something out of them. Because uh, I always had the impression as a kid that the alien in alien when it, when that second set of teeth would dart out like that, that it was kind of similar to how like the dire wraiths would, uh, they had that thing that would come out of their mouths and they'd pull like, I don't know, what was it? The soul or something out of the person to duplicate them. I almost had it, had the feeling that that's what that alien was doing. So this idea here that he was feeding on what he called their id, didn't mm-hmm. the diorates cast those people to limbo when they did that, or did they straight yeah, up I think kill so. them? No, they no they killed them. Mm. No, and that the, was when mean. the diorates, yeah, they did. Yeah, when oh, the diorates was Rom, was Rom that was he, banished. Oh yeah, limbo. he was sending he the diorates to limbo. Yeah, yeah. He, he banished them to limbo, that's but right. to human eyes, it looked like he was killing them, and that's why mm. in the first few issues he was wanted for murder because human beings couldn't tell the difference. They thought he, that he was just killing people, you know, like a like a like a mass murderer, you know, like like he was going on a shooting spree or something. And then later it was revealed that no, 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 his um, what do you call it? Not his analyzer, but his other whatever the other weapon was, was actually destroying the duplicated human form, but sending the dire wraiths themselves to limbo. They just couldn't see that. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of. You know how I saw that. It's, you know, I thought that was interesting. You know, this this panther thing is you know pulling the id out of people and feeding on that and all that. Um, the I didn't even where know it lost my id was me, made of phosphorus. Right. Where it lost me though was the whole. Uh, hey, you think you're getting away, but oh no, we're blocking your path and you die. That that was just. I still don't buy the explanation on that. I don't know what the hell they're going for. Um, well, perhaps, Maybe it's perhaps just me. Blaine can because... give us an even more simple scientific explanation for it. I, it it's going to take something because this reminds me of that episode where 
um, in the episode of Next Gen where for just a brief moment they make it look like there's two enemy oh, ships because they go to warp speed and it looks like they're sitting next to each other. I'd never under that I was never the Picard that maneuver. Yeah, they bullshit went to, maneuver. They bullshit went to, maneuver. They went to warp like whatever point something 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 for a split whatever second and it made them appear on scanners and visually that they were in two places at one time yeah. and the Ferengi didn't know who which one to shoot. So, yeah. Because there was like an after there was a the the imp, whatever. Science. If I ever encounter a Ferengi, I'm gonna know which one to shoot. Okay. No, no, it was it was Picard in the Stargazer that. No, I know, I I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Also, also the Picard maneuver is what happens when John Luke stands up and pulls down his jacket. It's also known as the Picard (laughs) maneuver. Or or when he yells out, "I surrender." I surrender. (laughs) That's the true Picard maneuver right there. Now the Riker maneuver is when he always puts his leg over something when he sits down. Or, or the, the Riker maneuvers when he puts his leg over some chair. <laughs> anyway, back to this one. I kind of liked the way the antagonist, what's it, Coerl, I liked it, like the thought process because it did seem alien. Like he wasn't, he was, you know, giving thoughts that you could understand what he was thinking, but it just like his logic and everything just seemed very strange. And I don't know, it just gave me an alien feeling, like a different, just a total different mindset, a total way of different of looking at things. Why but ultimately, he, he was pure evil and just wanted to consume, you know, everything. Maybe he just took on a cat form from their minds to keep them at ease. Of course, then he's he could down the took, road. Took on a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Paul has a good point that that was another point of the story that I thought was pretty ridiculous that in a very offhanded way, it just says that he slaps together a rocket. And I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, that what? was just ridiculous. Hey, yeah, Wilfred, and he, Wilfred yeah, Grimley did it in the Arctic with next to nothing. Well, he, Wilfred Tony Grimley Stark did it in a cave. Thumbs Tony too, Stark did it in a cave with scraps. <laughs> scraps. Scraps and men. I, I think it's funny Scraps that like you know he, he's doing it without an opposable thumb. Right, that's what I said. Yeah, well, at least Wilford Brimley had opposable thumbs, but he's got and, those tentacles. He could be yeah. there could be little thumbs on the end of those. Well, look, <laughs> look, that's all the tentacle look, is is a big thumb. Look, look on page twenty-two. <laughs> you could see the tentacles are grabbing stuff. See, it's got that little uh, piece of metal up there. Oh, see, Christ. it's an opposable tentacle. Whatever. <laughs> it's got little suction cups on it. <laughs> A rocket he threw together while we were battering in the doors. So it took him like 15 minutes. I put together a rocket. Wow. Yeah, I mean, rocket, rocket I, I, I can only suspect that we're trying to do in, what is it, 23 pages, you know, what, what probably took 100 and some odd pages to write. Mm. It is a novella, apparently. It is not a full novel. So I'm going to say, you know, what would it be? Probably 120 pages, maybe. I just yeah. noticed that panel four, page 22, that asshole has got that gun. He's got the butt of the gun, <laughs> the sight, right up to his glass helmet. Glass helmet. So if there is any recoil on that thing, he's going to get eye, eyeballs full of glass. That is not safe, all right? 
I don't care he's, what agency this guy's with. I'm sure that safety is supposed to be their number one thing, right? Well, that not, ocean- not that it's just not that it's not stupid because it is, but it looks like it's just kind of like a laser weapon, so it probably doesn't have any kick. Is that a space OSHA approved weapon? I don't think so. Well, even if it doesn't have any kick, if I'm the person that he's shooting at, provided he doesn't hit me with the first shot, I'm going to run up and smack the end of his gun so that he smashes himself in the face. And he goes, Get those people air. I don't know. I I'm, I don't mean to be overly harsh. I mean, it was it was it was good. I think a lot of what ruined it for me was the the adaptation of it because I think that the source material, at least I'm assuming, is probably a lot stronger than what we're getting here. I think it's. It kind I of got the say, short I think it's kind of dumbed down for the for the medium because again, this is at a time when. Um, you know, they're not exactly, you know, putting this stuff out for, you know, guys in their 40s or 50s, you know, to, to really dive into it and find it meaty. They're kind of, you know, breaking it down for the kids. So I think that it might suffer a bit from that. Um, and, you know, just some of the sillier uh things that are done with the story. But, you know, I mean, overall, I liked it. I just didn't. I mean, it, it's. I mean, a month from now, I won't remember I ever read this. You know what I mean? Mm. So. So uh, I like the I like the ad after the end of the story. Too skinny. New scientific <laughs> discovery helps you put on weight. Yeah, it's called eat fat ass. Put on weight. <laughs> put on weight with health health aids. Tablets improve your figure and looks by adding a few pounds and inches in the right places. Don't be skinny because of bad eating habits. No, be fat because of bad eating habits. Gain as much weight as you like. Hasn't stopped me. Guaranteed safe for <laughs> men, women, teenagers, dogs, cats, birds. Oh, wait. Health Day tablets are packed with pounds. <laughs> with pounds gaining calories. What the? You see where even is, more where pur- are you seeing this? That's an ad right after the, the, the end of the story. Oh, the day. yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they got some chick on there that's all bl- kind of blurry. She's and it's flat saying, as a piece of paper. It's, it said, put on some pounds. Play guitar in seven days or your money back. I don't get enough credit for licking this problem but damn good right here. Too skinny? Not a f***ing problem anymore. <laughs> Need money? Show friends how to save $18 on famed Hanover Shoes. Make three to eight dollars each time. Wow. Details by mail. Plus yeah. proof you can make two hundred dollars monthly part time. Hmm. Hypnotize with any TV set. First yeah, I was just, I was just looking. At that. <laughs> I've been hypnotized. Television repairman's accidental TV. discovery makes anyone a hypnotist right away. Secret method uses ordinary TV set. No electronic know-how needed. Yeah, just smack them on the head with the TV and you'll be able to... I used to have a Space Ghost album where uh, the big bug guy, whatever his name was, used to say, I've been hypnotized by the TV. That was one of my favorite little... Love that. It was like Lorax or something? Yeah, Yeah, that was his name. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 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 Space Ghost. (laughs) 
Oh, God. <coughs> Aw, page 17, third panel. What a sweet kitty cat. Who's a good looking kitty cat? Who's a good looking kitty cat? You are, yeah. Ah! <laughs> if it wasn't for the tentacles coming out of its back. I'm sorry. Anything that has tentacles on it is automatically evil. Yeah, it's, that's just, just... There's just, you know... Just going to say Cthulhu. I don't, you know. Cthulhu there are some There's some great panels in here, though. That next to last panel, page 16. I just love the uh, the, the face as he's attacking that guy. That's great. <laughs> oh, it's great. We should sound effect a book. When, 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 I've when, been thinking blah! that we need, we need to find something to do an enactment of sometime. Well, I mean, we, we were doing the... Uh, the hostess, the hostess ad. ads. And I was getting a blast out of doing that. So maybe we need to go back and do more hostess ads. We, well, we should, we should go. Some good ones. We should go back and pick some of the out, outer or like some, some some of the Charlton goofy Charlton stories. <laughs> like the ones. But in the meanwhile, it's gonna be time to grade this one. Why does the one guy have a mohawk? Because he's cool. Oh, I see. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, he does have a mohawk. And then Errol Flynn's another one of the other guys. He's got a <laughs> goatee. And, you know, he looks like need people with mohawks in the future. He looks like Fandral. Yeah, that's what I thought. He looks like if you, you smacked uh, Fandral and Dum Dum Dugan together. <laughs> wow. So. Six LPs or five tapes for only 99 cents? <laughs> yeah, but then you got to order all the other ones. Uh, Uriah Heap, live. You order them all and then you move. <laughs> so I thought I thought this cover was really cool. I actually remember this from when I was a kid, and I always thought this was a dynamic cover that just looked very very compelling. And I always wanted to read it. Now I finally have. Oh, the Mohawk so, guy's on the cover too. Yeah, he's there. He's he's looking very sad with his neck uh, brace thing. Neck, neck thing, yeah, and his and, and he's, he's got, he's got, got the, the Infinity Gauntlet wristbands. I was going to say, he's he's got quantum the four man's quantum bands on because they, they're just one color. He's got the you know quantum what? band replicas. You know what this reminds me of? Much what? later, because what year is this? The, uh, the 74. 74. So, Actually, probably it's what? cover dated February 74, so it probably came out in 73. So, I'm guessing it'd probably be a good, well, let's see, 79, 80, so a good six, seven years later. Gil Kane will do another cover where it's Captain Kirk, has, Captain Kirk. Ha, has had um, cosmetic surgery to make himself look like an alien from this planet that they're in orbit of, and all the people look like Satan, essentially. So it's Kirk standing up on like a gantry looking down at the other crew members and they're all looking up at him all horrified, right? Is this a Marvel? And that's, yeah, it's a Marvel and it's also a, a Gil Kane. And that, for mm. some reason, this really reminds me of that. But I think it's a totally different perspective. I think you're looking over Captain Kirk's shoulders in that cover. Right, right. But it, still, it, it just it really does remind me of that. For, I guess I, I do remember the one you're Gil talking Kane. about. Yeah. Bill King would do a lot of work for Marvel Star Trek. Yeah. See? This is in the tradition of Star Trek. (laughs) So on the cover, the corner shot, is that the monster from the Bugs Bunny cartoons, the Warner Brothers cartoons, the one that's made out of hair? Yeah, the one that's the big (laughs) red ball of hair. That's what it looks like. (laughs) Ah! Well, he is wearing sneakers. 
Monsters are such <laughs> interesting people. But the, Worlds Unknown was apparently doing, a, uh, at this point, I don't know how long this series ran, but they were doing adaptations of other, you know, of uh, science fiction literature. Because on the right. letters page, you see they, they were taking, uh, they had previously previously done Day of the Triffids, which is a science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. And right. oh, actually, the next issue is going to be yeah, the next, next issue of the yeah. Triffids. But they also said, oh, the uh, previous one had been the the day the Earth stood still. Oh, or the novel ran, on which it was based it ran eight issues, so it ran for three more issues after this. Sorry, I was trying. <laughs> that was pretty good, actually. I was shaking my head up and down. <laughs> I was doing some electro simulation. Some good looking covers on these too. Oh yeah, sure enough, the third issue, the day the Earth Seal Gort looks bad ass on this. I like this. It's a Rich Buckler cover. Hmm. He looks like a he looks like a giant. Uh, he looks kind of like a giant, like a Green Lantern or something. He's he's weird looking. That looks cool though. I might have to seek that out. The All interiors, I can tell you uh, in that regard is Klatu Barada Niktu. <laughs> interior is uh, penciled by Ross Andrew. I likes me some Ross Andrew. Ooh, that is super creepy. See, damn, I should have picked an issue of Worlds Unknown. These are good-looking covers here. See? See? The prior issue to this, uh, that's a really good cover. You've got the man from Atlantis versus some giant lizard alien thing with tentacles. That's really weird-looking. Hmm. That's a man from Atlantis? <laughs> no, that's just what oh. it me of. <laughs> I was like, what? And then all of a sudden in issue seven, you've got the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. What? <laughs> Ooh, George Tusca and Vinny Coletta. A gun for dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. Okay. That sounds like some 70s cop show or something. It'd come on like right after Vegas or something. I don't know. Maybe not. I'm getting tired. Thing Great called damn book kill already. The, I keep trying to. You keep <laughs> every time I try to start, you you interrupt me. Welcome to back to the bins. So as welcome I was to saying, shut up. Welcome to yeah. <laughs> as I was saying, uh, I really like the cover. I think it's dynamic. I think it's compelling, and I think it made me want to pick up the story, even though I never did until finally now. So I'm going to give the story an A-. minus. It's not the greatest cover in the world, but it's very compelling in my opinion. A-. minus. The interior art, I think, is solid, but I think it lacks a certain dynamism that it could have that would make it even more compelling. So I'm going to give the interior art a B. I think it could be better, but it's pretty solid just the same. Story-wise, I can't... I never read the source material, so I can't judge that. But obviously, Roy Thomas kind of got a little rushed and didn't get to give the explanations that he wanted to in this thing. It definitely... The story feels rushed. This this story seems like it should have been probably... Even without decompression, it should have been spread over about three issues. I, I think we, we kind of just just motored through it too quickly and that's where it fails i don't think the concepts fail and i don't think roy thomas's efforts to 
compress it into one issue fail. But I think it should have, editorially, it should have been broken down into three issues. So I don't want to penalize him for that, but I still have to rate it on what we got. So I'm just going to say a C on the story. Even though it's got some pretty heady concepts that I kind of dig. Overall, I'll give the book a B minus. Hmm. Um. Uh, yeah, I like the Gil Kane cat guy. He's still got enough of a cat. I mean, yeah, he's got a little bit of a humanoid face, but it's still uh, still pretty good. Uh, yeah, plus the chick he's got wrapped in his tentacles. She looks pretty good, too. She's got that good uh, scared woman look to her. Space Lone Lane? Space Lone Lane. And he's choking the shit out of that other guy, that redheaded guy. Man, <laughs> that guy's sitting on him. Sitting on him, choking him with a tentacle. Yeah, he's just feeling all kinds of hurt. And sad Mohawk guy is reaching for Space Lois Lane. Down on the bottom right is the Space ATM. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to give this a... hmm, I'm going to give it a B for Beastie, for Black Destroyer. (laughs) <laughs> and I like the interior. I like that opening page with with him on the rock. Love on the rocks. No, oh, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You and I are so, on such a wavelength tonight. <laughs> Coral on the rocks. Uh, but earlier you some lies. <laughs> you were saying that it was like an egg. Well, yeah, it, it does say a gleaming metallic egg, and I was thinking of. Uh, 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 Mork and Mindy. <laughs> nanu, nanu, Shazbat. But uh, yeah, because the cat would have just slaughtered Mork from Mork instantly. But, yeah, we've got uh, space, space Arrow Flynn, and space Captain, space Lois Lane, and space Peter Lorre, and space Mohawk guy getting out of the ship there. Uh, the the interior art. Um, like that first shot, they're all kind of muddled, but then later when they've got up close-ups of them in the helmets, you know, their their features a little bit more distinct. You can differentiate between them a little better. Um, it still kind of breaks down a little bit later, but it's it still flows good. Um, I think I'm going to give the interior art a B minus. And the story, I would like to read this the original story and is the original story called the black destroyer i think so but i can't say with certainty i think i've got an ae van Gogh story or book somewhere around here or at least a book with like a selection of stories in it and i think one of his is in there because that name sounds awful familiar like i've seen it as i've looked through my books in the past Uh, i'll keep an eye out for some stuff um the story i am I'm going to give the story a B as well, I guess, because I'm just agreeable again. So B's B's all around, a B book. Did A.E. Van Gogh cut his ear off and mail it to his girlfriend before or after this story? Did I say Van Gogh? Maybe Van Gogh, Van Gogh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did I mispronounce a name? Well, I'm assuming assuming it's Van Gogh. I don't know. Maybe not. Hmm. Um, points off because Black Destroyer is blue through the whole story, so I just couldn't help but notice that. Um, 
Uh, you know, the cover's okay, but the creature itself, and I think maybe my overall problem with this story, beyond some of the sillier things with the logic and going through the wall and the ship doesn't decompress and all that, is just the fact of what the creature is. It's a giant goddamn panther with tentacles coming out of it, and they don't seem especially bothered by this. And that that right there gets the story off and kind of an unrealistic foot to me. I mean, they're on this alien planet. They've never been there before. And this giant Panther that looks hungry and it looks like it's, um, you know, a, a meat eater and everything comes walking up to them. And throughout the entire story, everybody's like, Oh, don't hurt it. Don't hurt it. And the one guy that's like, I just want to kill this thing. <laughs> They're all like, oh, don't shoot it. Don't kill it. Why do you want to kill it? And I'm, I mean, he's the sensible one, and they keep talking him down through the whole story. And he's right. The thing ends up killing people. When the first person goes missing, that should have been the end of it right there. Been like, oh, okay, it's time to kill the cat. But they don't. And I don't know. I'm just, I was a little bit thrown off by that through the whole story. I think if maybe it had just had a different form. Maybe I would have bought the story a little bit better. I, I I'm a little confused as to why it, it why it is this form. Because it's is cool. that because that's uh, like I said, maybe that's the something, story. Maybe that's something that's the way they interpret it. Maybe it could look at their mind and picture something that they would like. Maybe its true form is so hideous. That it picked something they could relate to. What I did, oh, so they, what have I did to, find they have to wear was, that cool uh, red visor like Spock has in that one episode. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I, do, I do think that's the way it was in the original story because when I was looking up information on this, uh, they said one of the, th- the disturbing things about the original story was the continued use of the word pussy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> Where are you going to go with that one? I, you know, I don't, don't know how I'm going to follow that up. Um, okay, so anyway, back to the cover. Um, I like the cover. I mean, I loves me some Gil Kane. It's just this this isn't one of my favorite ones. So I'm going to say, you know, I, I've been thinking about this with, with all three of the grades. I, I think I'm going to just make it short and sweet. I think overall it's just, I think it's a C book. So I, I think I'm just going to go C's across the board. I, I like the cover, but I'm not nuts about it. So that's a C. Uh, the interior art, I mean, I like it. But again, I'm not nuts about it. And the story, I think I'm actually being pretty generous giving it a C. Because overall, it didn't really quite work for me. But I can definitely see where... You know, if it is true that this kind of inspired alien, I can see that. I can definitely see the roots of that here. So, yeah, C. I think it's a C book. Whoa, whoa, here she, here it comes. It's a phosphorus eater. <laughs> Gotta suck the phosphorus right out of you. Imagine how much phosphorus I have in me. Jeez. I could go up like, like a Roman cool. candle. I could go up like a Roman candle at any time. <laughs> Just rub you against a, a, a strike and you'll go into flames. <laughs> well, the fat will keep you burning for months. Uh, Mountain Dew don't burn, man. Fat and phosphorus. <laughs> Deadly combination. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh, mmm. Ah, oh, this, the aroma that just hit me. Mm.